This is Rolling Rocks Radio with Jerry Armentrout, Cody Carter, and Scott Barker. Welcome to another edition of Rolling Rocks Radio, the podcast where we talk about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, mixed martial arts, and anything else we find entertaining. I'm Scott Barker. He's Jerry Armentrout. Hey. And today we've got a super secret guest that Jerry <laughs> managed to line up. For us, we are um, honored to have Nate Prussian, COO of Guardians Group, on today's show. Uh, all the Rolling Rocks fam should at least be familiar with uh, Guardians Group because Jerry and I have talked about them multiple times. Jerry's birthday fundraiser this year is for Guardians Group. My birthday fundraiser this year was for Guardians Group. And this round of donations from the podcast is going to be donated to Guardians Group. So for those of you who don't know, Guardians Group is a, uh, a group of individuals who combat sex trafficking uh, throughout the United States. So Nate, man, thank you very much for coming on. We're really honored to have you. Yeah, it's a big deal for us. Yeah. So we're going to go back to the bottle today. Uh, Nate is a, uh, is a whiskey fan. So Jerry brought in the Catoctin Creek Roundstone Rye Whiskey. This is a Virginia product, so we're keeping it in the state today. Yep. So... Uh, have you ever had this one, Nate? I have, actually. Yeah, it's great. And yeah. thanks for having us on. No, oh, it, no you're, it's, it, the it's honor our pleasure. Because I just took a chance and reached out when uh, Guardian Group, when your administrator had uh, thanked me for raising the money for my fundraiser, which yeah. was cool. But then I was like, was you know, told her who we were. It's like, hey, could we, is someone from your staff interested? And coming on, we would love to have a, a little chat. And then the, the response was, "We know who we know who your podcasts are. We're from which, which kind of blew I was our like, minds. That is the greatest thing ever. Is like someone knows who we are, and that stuff that we're saying is actually someone else is hearing, and that it, it rings important. It, it rings important to us. Yep. Well, boys, cheers. 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 Like, mm. I love rye whiskey. Rye is my favorite. So this is this is going right to the cockles of I'm my dark heart. I'm a Scotch heart. guy. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Scotch guy. So, Nate, take us back to the beginning, man. Like, what's your story? You know, where'd you grow up? What you know? Take us back. Yeah. So I uh, I was born and raised uh, in Saline, Michigan, right outside Ann Arbor. And uh, you know, my dad was a cop. My mom worked sort of as a nurse, medical transcriptionist. You know, lived in the same town until you know. I graduated, went off to college, and I wanted to join the Army. Um, and so along the way, you know, I, that worked out for me, right? I, I got into the Army. Uh, I was an infantry officer for about four years, and I went over to Special Forces and spent the next 22 years doing that. Uh, and, you know, I, I hit it at the right time, right? I mean, 9-11 yeah. happened, and I was halfway through the language school. So I... Finished most of the Special Forces qualification course, uh, and I got out to to first Special Forces group in January of '02. So just as things are starting out, right? Um, and it was, you know, if, if you wanted to serve, that was a great time to serve. And along the way, you know, you you do a lot for the nation, and you spend a lot of time away from home. And uh, I was pretty fortunate, right? I still have all my fingers and toes, and um, and so. You know, I, I also was able to, to progress and continue to get promoted and serve in the jobs that I wanted to serve in, right? Um, and so that took me up until last year, and last year my wife and I decided, hey, it's, it's time, right? It's, 
things are winding down. Um, the career's been great, but we'd like to do more time at home. And so I retired. So I retired in May. Okay. And, uh, and we moved out to Oregon and then decided that uh, we'd rather be on the East Coast. So we just moved back here to, to Virginia uh, in September, actually. How, how did you... Yeah, how'd you end up in Virginia if you if you yeah. came up in Michigan? Like, how did you yeah, end up yeah, in yeah. our neck of the woods? Especially where you live, because, I mean, that's kind of a yeah. little tiny little area. Yeah, it's an awesome little area, yeah. but it's, yeah, it's... Well, the, the whole area is really incredible, right? So I'd been to Charlottesville a couple of times mm -hmm. for work, because uh, you got the, the Defense Intelligence Agency, mm -hmm. yes. right? And so... We had looked at it and we thought, well, you know, do we want to go there? It's a little close to D.C. Is that, you know, does that cause me to get sucked back up into, you know, sort of post-military government contracting stuff? We weren't really excited about that. And uh, so that caused us to go to Oregon. And when we started looking to come back to the East Coast, we put Charlottesville back on the list. And a guy that I had served with was from Crozet. So we said, well, you know, let's just go take a look at Crozet. And fell in love with the place. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's yeah it's close enough to Charlottesville yeah. to where you get all that if you want. But Cruise, I like Cruise. I mean, then you got Star Hill Breweries. That's a right. high yeah. level, yep. and they put a little food. You know, that's a nice place to live. It really is. Yeah, it's a beautiful little town. Everybody's really, really you know kind, inviting, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. You you got a ton to do there, and it's close to a bunch of other yeah. things, right? So. If you want to pick up and drive a half an hour in any direction, you're going to be able to see another town, do a bunch of stuff. Uh, there's all the wineries, if you're mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's it's been a great move for yeah, us. We, yeah, we've got you know we've got a couple of distilleries. Yeah, not too mm -hmm. far from there. So yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's it's easy to tell who who aren't from there because they say Crozet. <laughs> or yeah, for like here in the store we Stan, are. Stanton versus Stanton. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you always know when you don't. You ain't been here before. Yeah, yeah. What we're named after. You ain't from around here, are you? <laughs> yeah, you you weren't born here. See, I was born and raised in the area, and just I went. I've been to different places, but I end up coming back here, and it's a nice place to raise my family. Yeah, yeah. it really is. So, what made you join the army? Uh, sort of a family business, right? Okay. You, know, you hear a lot of that going around right now, where. You know, there's a lot of folks that haven't served, and the, the majority of people in the services are from families where people yeah. had served. And Three, so, 3%. Yeah, and my, my great-grandfather was an infantryman. My grandfather was an infantryman. My dad was uh, the odd man out. He was in the Air Force, and so you know, I wanted to join the Army. Um, initially, I wanted to be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. and then the grades for that, so that, that wasn't going to work out for me. And uh, so it... it it worked out, and I really enjoyed it. You know, my and my dad had said, you know, he was somebody that was in during Vietnam and had done a couple of years and then got out, went back to school. And he said, hey, I don't know if you're going to like it or not. You'll probably do four years and get out. And again, that's what most people do. Mm -hmm. And for me, the army was a lot of being around people that I like to be around, doing something that was important, and it really helped me focus on the things that were important and and what was not important, yes, at, you know, and it, it really narrowed down kind of what I paid attention to and, and gave me some purpose. Uh, so you were a, a lieutenant leading uh, infantry. Yeah, 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 in the 82nd Airborne, which is a great place to be in the infantry, right? Nice. Uh, the lieutenant yeah. jokes are just... Oh, yeah. No, there's... <laughs> it's a tough time to be in the Army. But, yeah. uh, you get a lot of... Uh, you get a lot of passes for doing uh, things that you probably shouldn't do, and yeah. you, know, you get a lot of guys helping you out. And, yeah, I was yeah. A, I was a grunt O three eleven in the Marine Corps. Yeah, okay. So. Where were you stationed? Lejeune. 
we were just out, uh, and then I managed to uh, fracture the navicular joint, the, the bone behind your thumb, Ooh. and it came apart in little pieces. So Bill Clinton, president, 1997. So uh, well, we don't need you anymore. Yeah. So I went. Uh, they pulled me out of the infantry and put me as a clerk for a while because I had a ca you know had a cast on, and then when they decided I had to have surgery, they decided they elected to discharge me. Yeah. So, which was one of the biggest heartbreaks I ever had. And then within, it was like a year later that we started building up for right after 9-11. It's like, you know, really? Yep. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Uh, so, all right, so you retired. What was your plans on, when you were, when you were eyeing retirement, what were, your, what were your solid plans after retirement? And what did you end up doing? Because those tend to be two different things. Yeah, so I... It was, it's an interesting story, right? We started talking about retiring a couple of years before we actually made the decision, right? And so that gave me some time to think about it and, you know, what was important to me. And, you know, again, I, I mentioned earlier, hey, one of the things I knew I didn't want to do was go to a big defense contractor and call friends of mine and try to sell them stuff, right? That yeah. just didn't appeal to me. So then, that, you know, I was forced to really think about, okay, what, what do I want to do? And then as we decided to move to Oregon, well, what's available out there? What, you know, what kind of opportunities are there? And then I ran into a guy that I had served with in the airport, right? It was this sort of strange, we're both traveling overseas and, and he, was, he was actually just coming into the country and was having a meeting in the airport and I was heading back out. And uh, so Tom and I sat down and talked for a while because he asked, okay, what are you doing next? I'm, like, oh, I'm retiring. And he says, well, then we need to talk. Because he'd been out for about four years. And he said, hey, the, the one thing you're, you you got to understand up front is you're not going to get the same value and worth out of what you do after the service. You, mm -hmm. you just can't compare the two. And you need to know that up front or you're going to really struggle with your transition. Okay. And now the closer I got to it, the, the more I knew that that wasn't what I wanted, right? I, I didn't want to get up every day and go for a paycheck or a bottom line, right? I wanted to still do something that I felt mattered. And I was getting close to driving out west and Guardian Group was in Bend, Oregon. And I knew three of the people that were working there. We'd all served together before. So I had talked to him previously. And so I, I just sort of reinvigorated it. Hey, I'll be out there for, you know, Thanksgiving like to sit down and talk with you guys if you have time and you know we sat down and the CEO and I sat down a couple more times and eventually he said okay you know I'd love to bring you on um, but I can't pay you what you can make on the outside and I said his name's Jeff I said hey Jeff mm -hmm. I I don't really care what you pay me to come on because I you know I have a lot of learning to do and um, I, I don't really care what my job title is. That's not something that I get up every day and, and care about, right? What I want to do is something that still matters. So if you're willing to have me, I'm willing to start by cleaning the toilets and you know, we'll see what happens. Um, and it worked out. So about six weeks later, he said, hey, I'd like you to be the COO. Okay, I, I don't know what a COO does, but I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to say yes. I guess you know that means I, I do what needs to get done. And it's a small organization, right? There's, there's At the time, there were six people working there. And uh, so everybody kind of gives way on anything, right? So you don't have a dedicated person that goes out and does training and education. If, if somebody calls and says, hey, we need that done, then one of us, you know, brushes back up on what we're, what we're going to teach. 
uh, and we go out and do it. Um, you know, when the, when the toilet breaks, one of us goes to Lowe's and picks up the parts and fixes the toilet. I mean, that's just the way it is. So it's a great organization. Uh, and that, that has been a, for me, a very good move, right? Cause it still, I think matters to the country. Uh, and you get to work with people that you like to work with. And so it, it does matter a lot because it's, it's, it impacts a lot of people. And the weird thing is, we discussed before we went on air, you know, I don't think a lot of people see it as an everyday thing and right. they don't know about it until someone's arrested and there's only someone, you know, with a big name or a yep. big spot that gets arrested. Then you'll have the 15 minutes of talking about it and then they brush it back under the rug and people go about their daily business. Yep. And it's, it is a little disturbing of how many people look the other way it's it's getting bad i mean they had georgia they arrested something like 73 people rescued all these kids and it was like a five minute story and you never seen anything else about it yeah it's a really uncomfortable conversation for people to have and i i mean i'll tell you guys you're both looking me in the eye while we're talking about it but most people when i tell them what i do for a living now they say oh that's great and then they want to change the subject and eye contact breaks and that's just the way it is, right? They're really uncomfortable with it. Uh, a lot of folks will tell you, hey, I didn't know this happened in the U.S. Some people associate it just with rich, powerful people that do it, which is not the case, right? It, it happens at, you know, any sort of level of society, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And uh, and the reality is there, the, then there's a lot of myth, right? Because a lot of what Americans understand about it, they, they learn through movies, movies and that, that. Yeah. And hey, man, it's it's not about uh, you know what you saw Julia Roberts portray, and it's not about Liam Neeson going yeah. to saving yeah. his daughters, and none of that's really how this happens typically. Um, so you know, I I have folks all the time that ask me, well, how many of these girls are locked up in cages and stuff? And usually, it's it's none. Um, usually, if you if you talk about a minor that's being trafficked, she's probably also still going to high school. Mm-hmm. And the teachers are all seeing a downturn in performance and they're wondering why. And there's a lot of, you know, like understanding that things are not going well, but they don't necessarily associate it with she's being sold for sex 10 times a day when she's not in school. Right. Yeah, there's, there's, sorry. I got into, I didn't even learn to what, I, sex trafficking until I was in my 20s. I think I was 21. And the way I found out, of, I even even learned what it was. Because, I mean, of course, you know, military I know what a prostitute hooker all that yeah but I was working in a place and you know hang out with the guys you work with I was married to my first wife and we used to have people over on weekends you know people come over drink beer and we would just hang out play cards and stuff well one guy we worked with he was like you know he wanted to come which was fine but he's like can I bring my wife she's like yeah you know I'm married my buddies are engaged or married so we, yeah. there's like yeah there's plenty you know women they can talk to it's cool he shows up with this young looking girl and my wife first met, you know, first talked to him, and she was like, she comes, she's like, that girl's awfully young, so I don't know if we should, you know, if she should drink or not. I was like, because I want to talk. I was like, well, dude, is that your, your little sister? He's like, no, it's my wife. It's like, dude, come on, how old is she? Well, she's sixteen. Well, dude, you're you're my age. That's a little weird. He's all well, we got. They got married where that was okay. And then it's like, okay, man. But I was like, she can't drink in my house. I can't have that. I mean, it's like I'm not comfortable anyway but I'm definitely not comfortable with her drinking and then he he had a few drinks and he started talking 
kind of like putting her down, talking about how he met her in uh, a crack house. I was like, dude, come on, man. That's, that, you know, you're, you're getting kind of weird. Yeah. And she was just sitting there. I was like, man, you're being rude. Don't, you know, stop. And then come to find out, yeah, that he actually had met her in a drug house. And her, one of her family members had traded her. And that's what she was there for. Yep. That's how they paid for their habit was, you know. And it's just like, dude, that's not something you should be telling people just randomly making fun of. And it's like, and this girl had a lot of issues. And it's like, just, you know, and she was, she'd be like, oh, it's fine. I'm used to it. It's like, you sh- shouldn't be used, used to, to it. Used to it. And right. it's like, dude, you just, I don't want you to come around here anymore. And it's what? like, you know, maybe that girl needs to see someone. Because if you're used to being treated like this and, you know, and he's going to make fun of it, that's kind of, and that's where I learned. It's like, you know, found out that this, this is an epidemic. That this, you know, little girl, you know, mm-hmm. from the time I think she was like 13, had been left at this place and he met her there and then he married her it's like okay that's you know you're not you're not her saving grace you're actually probably just as bad as <laughs> yeah, what was here before this is yeah um it, not trying to jump the gun but you know th- just the numbers and the statistics behind the family connections with sex trafficking blows yeah blows my mind right yeah. when you actually look into those statistics and you think oh they're being yeah. kidnapped off the street and thrown in the trunk of a car and taken three states over and they die they're you know, all the movie stuff, yep. right? But t- the statistics behind family involvement in sex trafficking just it it, it blows my mind. It makes me sick, yeah. right? Because it's like families are supposed to be protecting their children, yeah. not you know using them as a, a form of revenue or you know barter. That's right. right? Um, like I said, kind of, kind of jumping the gun here a little bit, but it's Jerry and I get fired up about this, so. Um, so, tell me a little bit more about Guardians Group. How did that Guardian. get... BBSL. Oh, sorry. Guardian Group. My bad. You're the educated one. Right? I know, right? I'm the one who can read. <laughs> um, tell, me, tell me a little bit more about Guardian Group and how they got started and what their mission statement is. Sure. Yeah, so uh, we've been around since 2010. The, the founder's a guy named Jeff Keith. He's still there as the CEO. Um, and he, he got into it like a lot of people sort of get into things you know later on in life or early in life when they're confronted with this stuff right so he like you saw prostitution overseas and he was he was a pastor and he was doing some work in india and he he can tell the story much better than i can because he was there but you know he goes to the middle of nowhere india and he's working a project for the church out of california and he sees there's this massive red light district next to this little bitty town, and it's it's you know really booming all day and night. And so the next time he goes back, he decides, well, you know, we're gonna we're gonna try to do something about this. And uh, he goes in and he buys the freedom of a couple of girls, right? Which today he would say, yeah, that really wasn't the way to handle that, and you know, there's a, there's other better ways to to address this. And he comes back from that trip and he says, hey, if that's happening there, then is this happening in the U.S., right? And it's, it's much less in your face in the U.S., not that, you know, you, you can't run into it anywhere, but he started looking into it and decided he's going to start up a, an organization to confront this. Now, that's like 2004, 2005, and he dabbles in a couple other ways to do it, and eventually he decides, okay, we're going to do this by assisting law enforcement with, you know, generating leads, right? Because there's, there's other organizations out there that 
you know, they'll, they'll actually do the operations mm -hmm. themselves. Um, and law enforcement typically doesn't, they don't appreciate that because A, it, it can be illegal and B, it can generate a demand for girls to be trafficked, right? So you have to be mm -hmm. careful with, with how you do it and what you do. But in the end, he says, okay, we're going we're gonna to start finding these girls in the ways that they're trafficked in the U.S. So we're going to notify law enforcement and provide them that information. Um, and that sort of transitioned into what Guardian Group is today, which is, you know, an organization that has really two components, right? So we, we do education and training. That's our defensive program. And that's specific to any, you know, any sector out there. So if a hotel chain says, if they contact us and say, hey, we want to educate our, our employees, then we have, you know, a way to do that. Um, and it's really very inexpensive. Um, so there's no barrier there based on the, the cost to do the training. Um, and that's, that's something we're pretty proud of because a lot of people will do this and they'll try to make a dollar on it. Mm -hmm. And all we're really doing is trying to get it out there. So, um, so most sectors we, we charge little to no money. Um, law enforcement, first responders, we will not charge them. We don't charge for, for any of that. And then there's the offensive program, and that's sort of two parts now. So the, the way we do the finding, because a lot of these girls are trafficked online, on the open web, right? So Not so, even darknet stuff. It's No, that, so, so the dark web is a whole other, you know, child pornography, child uh, sex trafficking. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is done there because they know the consequences right? mm -hmm. so they make it very very hard to access it because they they want to weed out you know law enforcement from finding them so we don't get involved with dark web activities mm -hmm. at all because the the way that works you can wind up actually hosting the site uh, on your computer yeah mm -hmm. thank you yeah. yeah yeah so we we stay away from the dark web so everything we do is is on the open internet um and you guys go back to 2017 when the U.S. government shut down Backpage.com? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that caused all that to migrate to offshore sites. So all that activity and content is still hosted on about 15 or so different websites. They're just all offshore now. Well, they used that one, was it Kick? They used Kick for a while. And, yeah. and, but they're still using it, and it's like, why is that not banned? How, how does it... Be, that, because that because it's come. offshore. Yeah. But, I mean, a, we, a lot of... But can't, and a lot I mean, of them, yeah. Can't we block it somehow? I mean, we come on. We have hackers that can block anything else. Well, and, and that gets, yeah, that gets back to okay. How? What do we expect from the federal government in, in dealing with some of this stuff? Um, and when it migrated, it was initially that was seen as, hey, this is a big win. But then it just, you know, went to a place where you can't serve a subpoena and get the content and go after the trafficker because they're not going to respond to it. So now. You know, we, we routinely look at about 15 different sites and then determine geographically, you know, who's being trafficked. And that's what we provide to law enforcement. So what, what we will provide to, you know, the relevant law enforcement agency, whether that's state, local, or federal, is here's the person, here's who she really is. You know, she's advertised as X, but um, that's largely not going to be the, mm -hmm. the truth. Here's where she is, where she's advertising, and uh, and then we assist them so they can go do the operation. So, if, you know, what you see with, with the police is they got really thin budgets. They're mm -hmm. dramatically underfunded. 
for all of the things they have to do. And if you look statewide, and I don't know about Virginia because I'm still just looking and just sort of getting into it, but in Oregon, there was one police officer in the whole state whose full-time job was human trafficking. Just one. Virginia is, at one point, we were the number one, one number one state in the union for trafficking. Yeah. Because the interstates and the ports. Yeah. That's right. Bob Goodlatte, our former congressman, he he found out and he kind of freaked because he's like, Virginia is supposed to be this quiet, nice state. And then you find out that we lead yeah. the nation in trafficking. And they started put, they started an education plan in Virginia. There, I don't know, if, uh, used to be you'd go to a gas station and there'd be a, a placard on the gas station that would tell you to look and pay attention yep. to the people around you, especially drivers. Yeah. Truck drivers, they had a huge uh, education for truck drivers that if you went into a truck stop and you're approached by what, what is commonly referred to as a lot lizard, uh, but to, to not just turn her away, maybe find out who she is and call the police and find out where she's going and who she's with because more than likely she's underage and she's really not there on her own. Yep. Well, we covered a couple, of, like several shows ago, the the truck driver in I think it was Montana, yeah, who was in the lot and he was propositioned by a lot lizard and he could tell that she wasn't she wasn't a, a willing participant in this and he alerted the, the the police and they actually recovered that girl and have her in a safe house and they're rehabilitating her. Yeah. So, yeah, living in the the eighty one corridor is kind of an interesting place to live. Right, because you know, a, a couple of years ago, Rockingham County was like the East Coast meth capital, yeah. Be, and it was, because it was easy to transfer on Route 11 or I 81, right? So living on the 81 corridor, it, it, and all of our listeners know we love this area, right? We're very happy and very proud of where we live, but every place has its seedy underside, right? Yeah. And living on the 81 corridor, there's stuff going up and down the 8111 corridor and if you pull off at a gas station you know one o'clock in the morning you may see some interesting things Mm -hmm. um and it's like jerry said you know the placard used to be for the truck drivers you know be aware of your surroundings um so what to that point what is what does your training focus on and how is that conducted and and i'm assuming like you talked about hotel change right it's you know, looking out for the signs of trafficking and prostitution and whatnot. But can you can you describe your training program a little bit and how that works? Yeah. So we uh, we will train any sector that that requested. Right. So where do you normally find victims of trafficking? Well, it's going to happen in hotels. They're going to eventually find their way to the emergency room because mm-hmm. yeah, you know, a, a John is going to treat them pretty badly at some point. They may be there with or without their trafficker. It kind of depends. So, you know, part A is, okay, where do you expect to find this? And then part B is, what are you looking for? Um, and you, you talk to talk to a hotel chain staff, and they'll say, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm fine right now. I'll get you on the next pass. Um, they'll, they'll talk about the fact that girls will come in and check in, and they a, they either don't know how to handle it, so they have a problem. Hotel chains have two problems. If the employee behind the counter checks the girl in, now are they complicit? And if he turns her away, do they have a lawsuit because he's wrongly accused her of doing what she's doing, right? Mm-hmm. right. And that's, that's one of the things that we have to 
help them understand, right? So do you want to tell the girl not to check in? No, you want to allow her to check in and then you want to alert the, the police if you believe that there's trafficking going on. The one thing you don't want to do is take it on yourself as the employee, right? Because mm -hmm. you can wind up confronting the trafficker, you can wind up making a, a bad assumption about who she is and what she's doing. Um, so what is it you expect to see, right? If the girl, if there's a girl that checks in and she's got her change of clothes in a, a plastic, you know, shopping bag from the local grocery store, that's an indicator, but a lot of them, you know, don't understand that until after the fact. Um, and it's been the same thing with, with first responders. So, you know, they'll respond to a, uh, you know, a traffic stop and then there's three girls in the car and they're with some guy and there's clearly some association, but they don't really understand what it is. Okay, what are you looking for? What do you ask them? How do you get them to have some distance from that person? And then how do you handle it? So we'll walk them through all of that. And a lot of that is stuff we've learned from working with law enforcement up front, right? So it's because we don't do this ourselves, uh, you get the best sort of understanding of how to deal with it from the, the men and women that do this every day. Um, and, you know, getting the awareness out is, is huge for a community. So the other, I think the other aspect that gets missed is you're not going to stop this through any one sort of venue, right? The police are not enough in force and they're not funded enough to take it on themselves. They don't have the capacity. District attorneys are, I won't say they're skittish to prosecute, but the bar for prosecution is really high unless it's a minor. And so you have to be able to prove things that are tough to prove. And so are they gonna take all these cases on or are they just gonna allow it to, to go out the side door, right? Yeah, when they used um, to have, a, when Lab PD was still on, we would watch that and they would be talking about arresting these girls and they were arresting them once a week. And some of them had 19, 20, 30 arrests, and they would they'd be out the next day, and they all knew that like, I'll be out in the morning. Right. And it's like, and the cops would be like, just don't come back to my to my area. So I'll arrest you every time I see you. And but it's like, and then they'd be talking to the cops, are like, yeah, we arrest her today. She'll be back tomorrow. Yep. Doing it again, and there's just nothing we can do. It's a ticket for the most part. They just don't want to deal with it. And, and is arresting her the thing that cures the problem? Right? Yeah, I mean, I mean that just typically stops not. it. Typically not, right? And that's something we, we try to encourage the police. There's a point at which they probably transition to doing this for the, the remainder of what their life is. And whether they have a trafficker or not, they'll probably migrate mm -hmm. back to it, right? So we when we look for girls... Typically, we're, the age range is 25 and under, right? And there's a reason. So typically, a girl that's being trafficked gets brought into it around the age of 15, and she's got about a seven-year lifespan at that point. And within seven years, she's either out of that life or she's probably dead, right? So past that, what are they doing? Well, they may migrate back to it because they believe this is all I can do. Um, you know, the trafficker does a pretty good job typically of making them feel like nobody will ever have them again, your family won't want you back, you're nothing but a prostitute, that kind of thing, right? So so we've seen a lot of cases where they migrate back to it. So does arresting her resolve anything? Well, no, typically not. Um, and how do you get them to, to be more involved in arresting and prosecuting traffickers, especially when you're seeing this migration from selling drugs to selling girls, mm -hmm. right? Because the, the the potential to do time in prison is so much less if you get caught selling a girl for sex. 
And that's that's the reality, right? You get caught Co with compared to drugs. Compared to drugs, yeah. So if it's if you're selling a girl that's 17 years old, you might do some time and you might not. And if she's 18, now I've got to prove that she didn't consent, then you're probably not going to do any time. Uh, and so the risk to the trafficker versus the reward, you it's, know, they're yeah, the risk reward yeah, ratio there is wildly different. Yep. That's nuts. And that's what we're seeing. So what does, so for these girls, you know, we, we just talked about, you know, they've got the, they get picked up 15, they've got seven to 10 years, okay. roughly. So, yeah. Well, he said 25. So he said 20, whatever. So I said he's seven he's doing years. the math. I don't do math in public. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, seven years, roughly plus or minus. We'll, we'll go with that. Um, on the, like on the good side and on the bad side, let's say they get recovered and they're, re, I guess, rehabilitated is the proper term to use. Yeah. Like, what does the afterlife look like for them versus what does the afterlife look like for a 25-year-old or a 22-year-old that gets picked up and then basically ages out, right? Because there's not a retirement plan for a traffic child, yeah. right? So what does, what does their continuation of life look like and then what do the success stories look like? Yeah, I think, you know, the success stories look like, um, you know, the girl gets wrapped up in some operation by the police. The trafficker eventually is prosecuted, goes to jail. She immediately moves into some aftercare program, right? And there's, there's a number of uh, nonprofits out there that do this and they do it really well, typically. Uh, and so what, you know, what we encourage the police to do when they're, going into an operation is make sure you have somebody that, that, you know, Covenant House or a number of the other ones out there, have them involved from the start. Make sure that the girl is immediately transitioned into their care so that she doesn't wind up being picked up by another trafficker within 24 hours. Because mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, A, they don't have anywhere to live. They have no money. They've got to do something in order to eat, sleep, feel like they're safe. Uh, and that trafficker isn't alone, right? So if he gets arrested, she's probably getting picked back up by somebody he works with within 24 hours. Wow. Right. So the aftercare is incredibly important. We don't do it, right? That's its own separate thing. Um, but the police ha typically do a very good job of that coordination. So success looks like, hey, they go right into aftercare. Then they have a place to stay. Um, they get the, the emotional care and physical care that they need. They're put into a program that helps them transition. At some point, you know, you like to see them transition back to going back to their family. And then it's a lifetime of care, right? I mean, you know, think about it. There's lasting psychological yeah. trauma. Forever, right? And it's, it's undeniable and it, uh, it is something that I don't think is understood enough. Right. Put it in. Put it in this context. The girl is making money by having sex. That's a hundred to two hundred dollars typically per session, one-hour sessions, ten to fifteen sessions a day. So she's being raped ten to fifteen times a day, for months or years. Okay, you can't just unwind that in you know a couple of months. Yeah. Uh, and when you know when we talk to to legislators. You talk about the amount of money that takes, right? So, because I just uh, did some study on Texas, Texas, and there's you know 
there's labor trafficking and there's yeah. sex trafficking, but that's going to cost Texas about $4 billion over the next 10 years just in the aftercare and everything else that's required. That was that was always one of the things that when, when we get into like the open border things and it's our, our border is what it is people want to come here but when they when people just want to turn the eye that is like you understand that if these people we don't know who they are we don't know to look for them. so if this young girl is being used no one knows she's even in the country so how do we know to look for her? Yeah. and if their parents aren't here legally or don't tell anyone then that little girl is going to be used up and like part will be found dead somewhere because no one even knows she's missing because we don't know she's here yeah, it's <clears throat> so you know you get asked too, right? What's the what's the sort of ratio between girls coming across the southwest border and girls in the U.S. And you know we're still we're we're still observing eighty three percent of our cases that we work are girls that were born in the U.S. So it hasn't the the southwest border issue hasn't for us at least dramatically changed anything. But to your point, how how are they being? Trafficked if they are, does anybody know they're here? Those are those are the questions that you, know, you can't really get into yet. Um, well, they, they talk about uh, dredging the Red River. They have Red River days where they yeah. dredge the Red River just for women's bodies, and most and they're, some of them are they're American Indians uh, um, or they're yeah. or the illegals, and yeah. there are people that are you know however you want to say, it, but they're, they're undocumented, they're illegal, whatever, and they've just been dumped in there, and it's like, and they almost never know who they are. So does the balance, that 83%, does that balance change as you get closer to a border, either northern or southern, or is that pretty standard across the country? I think it's pretty standard across the country. Um, now, I, you know, I, I would tell you that if you went down and asked a CBP officer mm -hmm. on the southwest border, they're probably going to say, hey, the majority that I see are yeah. not girls that were born here. But as a national sort of percentage, yeah, about 83% are girls that were born in the U.S., born and raised right here. Question I've, I've thought about to ask you, and I really want your opinion. The overwhelming new trend for, like, I mean, you have your, the OnlyFans now has become big. You know, you mm -hmm. have all these other, you know, Pornhub and all these tons of sites you can get for free on whatever network. That's right. But people are talking about it. Because, I mean, I didn't, we actually didn't know OnlyFans was what it is. Because originally when OnlyFans was started, it was for like actors and athletes. It, it was like sign autographs. Right. It was like what cameo yeah, is now. Cameos. And then it's gone to what it is. And when it first time, I was like, what? what? You know, I didn't realize. But do you, and a lot of these, I've read several articles where a lot of these, like Pornhub has been in trouble more than once because it ends up being minors that are on there. And oh, well, we didn't know. But is that a problem because now people are, it's, they're seeing it and it's almost like down almost like watering down the actual it's thing. Not, oh, well, it's I, normalizing. I, yeah, it's making it like yeah. okay to do this. That's right. It, it, it is more normal for people to say, well, yeah, I go to Pornhub and I watch what I watch and how was I supposed to know how old she is? But you you would like to believe that a fan, you know, a site like OnlyFans yeah. does a better job at understanding who it is that they're hosting, right? And oftentimes, again, because it's, it's off the U.S. There's no there's no recourse, mm -hmm. um, and you want to know what the predominant site is that we we typically see people using that are being trafficked. It's OnlyFans, right? So there's this there's really? this yeah OnlyFans is huge. It depends sort of geographically where you're looking. 
Uh, and like I said, there's you know 15 or so that we look at, um, but OnlyFans is a huge hosting site for girls that are being trafficked. Yeah, it's it's because what was it two three months ago? OnlyFans uh, made tried. an announcement saying yeah. that they're going to ban oh, yeah. all nudity. Yeah, that they would allow uh, above the waist, and that was it. They were done with all of it, and then within a day. They're like, okay, well, now we, we can't do that. We're just because it's the money. It's going to cost us too much money. Yeah, we're going to go. Bro- we're not going to make no money. And even if you were going to ban the nudity, mm-hmm. I mean, how many of these girls are being trafficked and they're showing body parts but not nudity yeah. or just faces, right? And and then you know you get into the issue of they know that it's risky to advertise a minor, so oftentimes the minor gets advertised as a twofer, right? So mm-hmm. they'll advertise one woman. And it's a two-girl special. Okay, well, what does that mean? It causes the person that's interested in the minor to ask, well, who's the other girl? Well, that's not advertised, yeah. right? Now they, right. they go from whatever hosting site to you mm-hmm. name the app that they're going to communicate on. Okay. And there you go. Yeah, um, hit me up on Telegram or hit me up on... That's right. Like yeah. what, you, yeah. you name the, the, the secure texting app that they're going to use, and then there's, you know, okay, well, send me the cash payment on a cash app, and then yeah, you're yeah, off yeah. to the races, yeah. right? Hey, uh, I, I delete it from my phone because we used to, I used to, we used to joke about on Instagram. <laughs> I, my, well, my, my, I used to... Instagram, what I used to have was private, but then when we started pushing the podcast, we both made it public, you know, made ours public so people could follow us. And people would see what we were sharing. Well, you get all those random, like, you know, and mostly I delete them. But there for a while, I'd get bored and I would troll. I would ask <laughs> weird, weird questions and I would troll them. And then, but it's, and I can't always say, do you have hangouts? What? You know, because we could talk on there. Okay. And, you know, mm-hmm. and then it was, do you have cash apps? Like, okay, I don't have either one. And actually, look, I didn't know I had it, but hangouts was actually included on the phone it's as part a built in yeah. app. So I deleted it. It's like, no, I don't even want to have this on my phone because. Apparently, this is a common use by these people, and I mean, I went so far with one. I told him about why well, you got, I, into, got I, her to put a shoe I on her head. Got her to put a shoe on her head. I was like, I need the, you know, I was like, ah, oh, you're probably a dude. I need and, proof of life. And put I was a, like, put a shoe a, on your put head. Put a shoe on your head. Yeah. And she did. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to delete this now because you're actually a real person. And we're done. You're claiming yeah, you're 19, but I'm, I'm okay. We're done. So. um Question on the, the, and this is, I'm curious about this, question on the, the, the aftercare yeah. locations. How has the vetting of those organizations become better over time? Because we had, shoot, I guess back in the 90s, we had a pretty big scandal in this area, and I, I don't want to use the, the facility's name, but we had a pretty big scandal in this area where a halfway house that provided those types of services were actually pimping out their residents. Yeah. yeah, so so has the regulation and the vetting of those organizations gotten better over time, or is it still a little iffy? Yeah, I, I think as a generality, it has gotten better. Um, you know, we, we do a, a decent job of understanding who we're going to recommend to law enforcement before we actually start making those recommendations. Okay. And so, you know, there's, there's some national ones that are very good um there's some local ones that are very good what you'd like to believe is that the the local pd has the best understanding because they should be working with them pretty routinely but sometimes that's not the case um and i think you know the the aftercare thing is it's pretty difficult because a there's so much 
there's so much need for capacity and then there's only limited funding and you know because they're mostly nonprofits um, they may get some federal or local you know state money they're always in this issue of generating income for the next year yeah. and so when i talk to them hey you know i like i had a, a a woman contact me who was just out of prison she was she had actually rolled over on the trafficker but because she was also assisting him in running the trafficking she did some time mm -hmm. <clears throat> so she gets out of prison she's in her early 30s and she's in new jersey so i you know i kind of look around there's a couple different places that she could wind up she's already staying in one place and almost every place i talk to they're out of capacity right they just don't have the ability to take anybody else on you know, house them get them into services that kind of stuff now you're asking yourself well she's 30 something you know 32 33 years old what does she go back to doing yeah right? yeah she's and, got 50 more years that she's got to right like yeah. legitimately live out that's right so that comes and, and I, I don't want to i'm not asking this to be morbid but what i want to do is you mentioned earlier that a lot of people, when you have this conversation, right, they, they break eye contact and say, hey, you know, how was the game last weekend? I want people to understand what they're supporting if they either actively partake in this or they turn their head. Yeah. What does the afterlife look like for, like I said, the 22 to 25 year old who ages out of that particular area and doesn't get support and get into a rehabilitation program. What does their life look like? Yeah, largely they're going to continue to to migrate back to it uh, until it goes badly and they wind up dead, or until somebody somehow intervenes and and pulls them out of it. Right, and you see this with okay, well she's young and she's being trafficked online to you know areas of town where you can go on down to where you know they, they're the street walkers and mm. they're they're being sort of in the normal traditional prostitute role right hanging mm -hmm. out on the street waiting for somebody to pull up to them okay so she's now late 20s early 30s she's going to keep doing that until yeah. you name the thing that happens she gets killed doing it she get she overdoses because of it um, she takes her own life that's the, the road that they go down very, very rarely. It does happen, but it's very rare where the woman continues to do this and then at some point migrates away from it on her own or gets help later on, right? Mm -hmm. So once they get caught up in it, they have no way out. Uh, and, and, you know, having talked to a couple of them who migrated back themselves, it was because they, they felt like they had no other options. My you family watch, won't take me back. You watch, you watch any of the police programs, you know, the cops, the LAPD, and some of these women, like especially when they do like, they they go out uh, and do the the stings where they pick them up, yeah. and some of these women are in their forties or fifties, right. and they just been doing it, and they they'll have a uh, hundred and fifty arrests. They've been doing this since they were kids. Yeah, and it's just like it's like wow, and no one no one's bothered before now to say, hey, you know what, you've been in here a lot. Let's do something for you. Right. Our locally, our local sheriff is been arrested. They've they've been running um, predator stings almost weekly, and God bless him. He uh, Sheriff Smith's been 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 very proactive on uh, trying to catch these people. And 
it's amazing how many people they arrest. I mean, the same day I started chatting with you on emails, they arrested a guy in the 60s here locally for not only inappropriateness, but they literally, I mean, the sheriff puts out what he arrested you for and what was happening. They don't sugarcoat it. And he's like, they charge him for penetration of a minor. So not only just, you know, he, you know, the, the, it was a young girl. When, and, and it's just like, wow. You know, how, how, how can you do that? You know, how, how is that even, do you think that's okay? Right. And these ones that are picking up, I mean, they, they had a sting th- three weeks ago. They arrested nine local and then like six or seven out of state. And they used a young boy and a, well, they were actors, but they're supposed to be a young boy and a young girl, 15 and 14. And it's just the people they were picking up. And then a lot of them were like, well, you know, I really want to do anything. I really, well, this is very explicit what you said you wanted to do. So And you showed up. Yeah. And, yeah. You, were, and you were here. So That's right. And so that's that's the one thing that I was surprised at about trafficking when I, when I started doing this for Guardian Group was the moving of the, of the girls, mm-hmm. right? So... I would have thought, okay, it costs you money to move them. It costs you money to, to house them. Uh, you still got to feed them. All right, why would you move them away from the place where you already have them, right? So, you know, we use Portland, Oregon for mm-hmm. the example. Well, as it turns out, they understand revenue pretty well. And they understand that if I have a girl in Portland and I move her three hours to Bend, Oregon, which is a tourist destination, mm-hmm. For the weekend, she'll make three times the amount of money in in that town as she would have in Portland. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't really understand that, right? So then you start looking at patterns of migration and how they move them and, and when they move them. And we started watching that, you know, a trafficker in Portland actually moved a girl to the East Coast for a weekend. So you're going to pay, you know, the... for the plane ticket plus the hotel to bring her over here. How much money was she able to make for you that made that worthwhile? They're very shrewd businessmen. They just have a shitty product. Well, look, right. And look, I mean, look at the Super Bowl. It's the number one time of the year for sex traffickers. That's right. And then, you know, like I said, when I was young, I never thought about it, you know. But then, you know, that, that encounter and then seeing stuff happen to people you know and then, you know, Starting to learn, I was like, one in four women are sexually assaulted, you know, by a boyfriend or a loved one sometime in their life. And then uh, family members, you know, finding out, you know, things that happen to family members. It's like, you know, you start paying more and more attention. And then, and then, you, you, then you start seeing the other side where people are just like, ah, you know, shrug it off. Like, it's not a big deal. Right. And, uh, I, you know, after I got hurt and they weren't sure what to do with me, they put me on recruiting duty. You know, trying to find something for me. So I come back here. Um, my recruiter was actually cool. He, he wanted me to come help him. You know, and that would kind of get, he was hoping it would get get me out of their eyesight so they forget about me and I wouldn't get, you know, a discharge because they were down, downgrading. And we had to go to a house and do an interview. And uh, <laughs> we interviewed, you know, the young man had a good good school records, is in good shape, this is going to be a no-brainer, his parents were there, they were all for him during the Marine Corps, this was going to be an easy thing. Then you get to the question, where we run down through this, have you been arrested for drugs, alcohol, you know, fat, you know, just, we were going down this list, this kid was an A student, honor student, good family, so, but you get down the question, like, have you ever been arrested for sexual, you know, any sex charges, you know, because it's just a question, and I was going to mark no, because we'd mark no, and then we got quiet. It's like, and it's just like, okay, uh, what? And he's like, and the dad was like, yeah, well, he caught a little charge of rape. And so my, the senior 
I'm just a PFC. I'm just doing paperwork, and he's you know trying to. So I have a you know gunnery sergeant with me, and he's actually you know the head recruiter of the office. So he's like, okay, wait a minute. What's a little charge? You know, because he was an MP, you know, by regular duty. And he's like, oh, well, it was a misunderstanding. Okay, so and he's like, okay, so what's a misunderstanding? Boyfriend girlfriend thing? You know. You know, we need to know now. You know, this is one of those things. And I think it was more like, now he wants to know. That cop part of his brain kicks in. It's like, okay, what do we mean? And he was like, oh, well, he had sex with his sister. And his sister's sitting right there. Whoops. And he's like, yeah, they, it was. It went I don't too remember far. this story. And it was like, it went too far. And it's like, and they just, like, it was no big deal. And the little girl's sitting, I mean, she's a couple years younger, she's sitting there. And he's, there's like, I just went too far, it's not that big of a deal. It's like, you know what, we're, you know, we're done with this, you know, we're done. You know, you, yeah. you will never, yeah. He will like, never be in my core. It's like, how? And did his, their parents were like, oh, that's not a big deal. Well, and that, yeah, that gets back to how do communities understand their responsibility and and what are they doing about it? Back to the original, right? Mm-hmm. They, they failed to be willing mm-hmm. to even make eye contact about it, much less understand, okay, man, that, that, that happened right down the road from you. Well, you're... you're your group put up stats. I've, I've been sharing your stats and reading these articles, and it's like, what, 80-some per- percent of the Johns just don't just look the other way. You know, I, uh, and just move, you know, yeah, here, here's my yeah. money. I'm doing my thing, and I'm, and I'm going to try to help you. And they don't, uh, so the mo- one of the most effective things, so, you know, right, uh, arresting the Johns, does that really do anything? It's like going after drug users in yeah. the U.S. Yeah. You, you have to do some of that, but are you really going to change the, the nature of, Drug trafficking or sex Especially trafficking. Especially when most times it's a misdemeanor. Yeah. And, you know. So one of the most effective things that a, that a local municipality can do is a John school, right? If you get a DUI, you got to go to, you know, driver's yeah. ed again, right? And it, it re-educates the driver. Now, I don't know how well it works for, for drivers, but... It's not, it's not a driving problem. It's a drinking problem, yeah. right? I mean... That's right. So if the John school, Portland does this, and it's really effective. So... If you get arrested as a John, you're going to John school. And it, it okay. helps, you know, that guy with the outcome at his trial. Mm. But it also has this dramatic change because most of them don't realize, hey, this girl isn't doing this willingly. She's underage. All these things that your, your typical John, not all Johns, but typically, they don't even think about it. Mm. Right? They're just, they're just signing up for a date to go get... Yeah, sex, yeah, yeah. and that's all they are thinking about. Um, and so, you know, can municipalities do more of that? Because they also bring in some revenue based on that. It helps them locally, and it helps to educate the community and provide awareness to the community about what's really going on. Mm-hmm. It's so, when we talk about it, people don't understand. There's a running joke in our town, uh, and I mean, I've heard it since I was young, and that guy would be talking about that. We have a we have the college here, the women's college, mm-hmm. and there's all every year you you know people talk about oh yeah there's certain ones. I mean we had a business here that that's what the owner of that business was known for. He would comp girls went to that college. They got free stuff, but that's what he was you know getting in return. Yeah. So it's like that's really not much difference than what you know. Well, there's the there's the Sweetbriar girls yeah. too. I mean yeah. there, there was the Lynchburg. They were running their own brothel. They, they, oh, really? yeah. The, there's a, there was a, 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 
very exclusive girls only school in Lynchburg called Sweetbriar. It's very expensive. Very expensive. And the girls were actually pimping themselves out. They were independent contractors. So all these girls, they were driving Porsches around campus and people were like, how? I don't understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a wealthy school anywhere. They have a really highly rated equestrian program, right? So the, the wealth kind of blended in but it's like okay well jenny's driving to school in a new porsche you know r3 what's going on well it turns out they were doing it themselves yeah and yeah it's and then like you said you know you have the pretty woman where it's oh it's not really that big of a deal but there's other movies that i remember watching uh where it wasn't the woman it was still a dramatic you know it was a was an actress playing the role but she was playing the role based on a a prostitute had wrote a book about, and she was up in her forties when she finally got out of it. Yep. And and the way she was treating the things that happened to her, and her talking about like she was, she'd get paid half the time that guys would just beat her up at the end and not pay her. She was like, so it was you know a crapshoot on you know whether she was going to get paid or not. And it's just like, so that one was a little more got you the point because she's like, most of the people, women that I knew were dead. They either died of AIDS. They died of drug overdose or they were killed. And she's just like, there's no life in this. And luckily she was able to find, I think someone, she met somebody. And I think it was a bartender that she kept coming to the same bar. And he finally intervened and said, you know what? You you need to talk to somebody. You you can't do this anymore. And he got her help. But 40 some years old and was, you know, been doing it since she was like 12 or 13. Yeah, there was a woman that we talked to who did it for two years on her own after she got away from her trafficker. And the only reason she kept doing it was she believed, I have no other means. Nobody will ever love me. Uh, My family won't have me back. And so she migrated right back to it and did it for two more years. I mean, that's part of the mental deconstruction that the... the, the You're not worth it. Ringleaders, pimpers, whatever you want to call them, traffickers, right? They break them down That's to the right. point where they believe they can never go back to their family. That's the, right. The follow up care. Intent. We had a um, in, uh, here a few years ago where a young girl had been tra- had been trafficked. Uh, they had she'd been rescued, sent back to her parents, and this was here in Virginia, so it's it bothered and it's real bad. She was fifteen. She went. They put her back in public school, mm. and she was. People found out what you know had happened to her, and apparently the teachers were talking about. So students heard, and then so she was being basically abused in the school, and the school's response where they expelled her. Yeah, it's like this little girl's got so many problems, and instead of helping her, oh, well, we're gonna punish her and throw her out of school because people are abusing her in the school. Yeah, that there's a, I forget the actual statistic, but. I think on the website there's a statistic that lays out how many times a girl is confronted by somebody and never gets asked if she needs help. And it's like seven or twelve. I forget what the number actually is, but there's in the end there's all these chances for somebody to step in mm-hmm. and say, "Are you okay? Do you need help?" And they never do. They look they they look the other way. They get uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, they don't feel like it's their place. You name the reason. But this comes back to communities getting involved, right? Just ask the question, are you okay? Do you need help? Yeah, um, I've, I've, I've gotten uh, in some pretty heinous places. I've, I've, I'll, I've, I'll put my nose in stuff. 
Like if something don't look up, I say, hey, is there a problem here? Something I can help you with? Yeah. You know, do you need me to call someone? And do, do, you know, guy would like, you know, mind your business. Well, do you know? No. This is kind of in you know, public, so it is my business. That's right. If you want to, you know, it's just, you know, we can, we can accelerate to something else if necessary, but do you need help? And, but normally, yeah, I'll, I've been out in places and you can see someone getting yelled at, some girl getting pushed into her car at, a, at the Walmart. And most mm-hmm. people are just looking away. Uh, I told a story. So we talked about, we talk about like knowing you're where you are. I was at a food line uh, locally and I was just shopping for me and my wife before I went home and I was talking to her and there's this young girl that was in there and she was oblivious to her surroundings. She's probably 19, 20. looks like she, she probably just came from the gym. She's wearing, you know, um, women's attire now for, you know, gym but attire. you know, leggings and a top and it was back in the summer. But I really quickly realized that there was a dude who every hour she went down, he was behind her. So, and I told him, I was like, you know, hang on. So I hung up and I watched. And I went, you know, and he didn't approach her, so I didn't think much about it. I went to pay for my groceries. She was a couple of hours, uh, registers down. But I watched the guy, she went out the door, he put his basket down and followed her out. Hmm. So I stood, she parked, ended up parking behind, near where I was, just out of coincidence. So I stood there behind my truck and watched him. And it's just like, you know, why she put her groceries in? And I just watched him, and he looked up and saw me standing there. And then he went back in the store. It's just like, you know, dude, you're you're going to do something, you know? Yeah. Whether yeah, I don't know what, but you were you don't put your basket down and follow a younger outside for nothing. Yeah. Well, and, and brother Cody's story. Yeah. He was in the yeah, store his, the other day. His We've, wife. His wife and two daughters. They were being followed. Followed by two guys, and he she called him and said, "Hey, I need your help." And they were angling to cut her off in an aisle. Yeah. And he had his, and she had her two small daughters with her. Huh. And they were, yeah, they were, he said they were talking back and forth on phones and they kind of went to either end and didn't realize she was there with him. Yeah, they were, she didn't realize separated. he was there because she was somewhere else in the store. Yeah. Um, so something that, that Jerry just brought up that I'd like to dig into a little bit is um, the common myths around sex trafficking because we we talked about earlier right a lot of what the normal people's understanding is comes from movies or books or really bad reporting um, which we'll get into here in a little bit but what are some of the common myths and misunderstandings about sex trafficking that the common populace needs to be disabused of yeah i think the first one is does it happen in the U.S.? Does it happen in your hometown? Right, you're you're running all this all the time. People don't understand that this happens pretty commonly across the United States. Um, that's the first one. The second one is, hey, they they largely are not held against their will. They come and go freely. Right, if they're underage, they're living at home with their parents. They're being trafficked. They're still going to school. And again, this this gets into is there an opportunity or many opportunities to, to stop it, right? And then the third one, um, I, I think that's a big one is, is there really a will to do something about it, right? Is this a priority for your police department? And, and most people would say, yeah, my, my local police department has, you know, they're gonna do something about this when, when it's happening. Well, that's a question of, does the police officer see it as a, a, you know, a real priority. Is the district attorney willing to prosecute it or just take it to court? Um, 
there's a myth that this is a really, really um, big deal for every police department and DA across the U.S. Uh, that may or may not be the case, right? Some district attorneys will absolutely take it on. Some will say, uh, I don't want to prosecute these because I don't want to get known as being in a town where this happens. Mm -hmm. And it might spoil, you know, if, you're, if your town is a town that has to bring in tourists. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't want to turn tourism away, so I don't want to get known as a town where this happens. That, that routinely comes up. Uh, we had one DA several years ago say, hey, I, he didn't tell us, he told the, the police department, hey, I don't want you guys doing these kinds of operations because we might wind up wrapping up a senior local official. Well, oh, heaven forbid. Oh, that's awesome. And again, you, you can't have, you know, you can't have it both ways. You have yeah. to enforce the laws. And, you, and if that means that a local official who wound up having uh, to wound up being a very senior person in the state legislature in that in that mm -hmm. uh, state, okay, now you're just allowing the the crime yeah. to, to go on because you don't want to have to confront the fact that this happens sort of across yeah. every cross section of Americana. So yeah, we were, we were talking about this when we started training that I'm as mad at one side as I am the other because they all look the other way, especially yeah. if it's in their own party or their own dag. You know, demographics. Yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, so and so is bad, but eh, don't worry about this one. This one is okay. You know? Right. And we'll this just is, pretend like it didn't happen. And this is a crime that, that, yeah. that is not partisan, right? No. I mean, it happens across the United yeah. States and mm -hmm. it happens in, in any state and town you can think of. So are you are you going to get involved? Is, is the police department setting this as a priority? Does the local municipality tell them that's a, a priority or not? Uh, is the school system capable of understanding that this is happening within the school system, yeah. right? Because the girls are still going to school and are they willing to step in? Uh, and, and are communities willing to step in? Are parents willing to, to take it upon themselves, whether it's their kid or their neighbor's kid? And just ask that one question. I mean, we, we just, we've been living through it here in Loudoun County with how they look, turn a blind eye to the assault that went on in the school and they just moved it to another and then pretend like it didn't happen and blatantly lied about that thing, the knowledge of it and then now because of the Freedom of Information Act the parents have like okay we, we want to know everything well we're, we're charging you $36,000 to get those papers Yeah. and parents are like wait yeah cause it costs us time and money to pull them all and they have you know then they found it's like something like 100,000 pieces of paper emails, text messages that contain or are about rape in school. So like, how much is going on that there's literally 100,000 pieces of paper? Yeah. And it's going to cost someone 36,000. And now there's, there's groups that are like, yeah, okay, we'll pay it. And then now it's like, oh, well, but it might take us a while to do it. Because, you know, first they put, you know, and that, they're just looking the other way. Hey, you know, we just, it, it doesn't really matter. And then you, you see these groups that tell women that just to succumb to the assault. That it's not a big deal. It's right. just sex. Right. And then, and then I've seen people. I've heard people on some of these shows. People get arrested, or or guys talk about it. I mean, guys that I've known, they're like, well, they're getting paid for it. It's not. Is it really rape? They're getting paid. Right. It's like, man, that, that don't mean anything, dude. That's just you know. That's just. And, but uh, there's a. I hate to admit, there's a lot of guys that I've grown up with that 
they don't think it's a big deal. It's a victimless crime. Yeah, to them it's like, you know, I'm paying for it, so why is it a problem? She's getting paid. She's selling, I'm paying. Yeah, it's just like, dude, that don't mean she's willing to be there. I mean, that's right. You know. And that's, I I think there's just this dramatic misunderstanding about how the, you know, the sex trade, unfortunately, works, whether you're in the U.S. or not, and whether they're willing or not, right? There's this huge misunderstanding about it. It, it, it's it. This is what one I've talked to. We've tried to have these arguments with people. I've tried, you know, you know, we use the term. We've seen people use the term "sex slaves." Yeah. And people are like, well, but they're not. They're not locking them up. They're not handcuffed. They're not tied up. It's like, okay, so let's go back to slavery. Those people weren't handcuffed, tied up. They lived in houses. They lived, you know, they had homes on the on the plantations. It wasn't the physical restraints. It was the fear of the reprimand of what happens if you left. That's right. If you fled, then you can get you will be dealt with. So these young girls are have the same thing. If I leave, what's going to happen to me or my family? Because if I know who you are, I know who your family is. Yep. So right. if you leave me, I'm just going to go kill your mom. I'm going to go kill your grandma. I'm going to go kill these people. So it's and they're convinced yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but slavery was a long time, and it was the same thing. How many people did not flee? They just dealt with that everyday idea because of the repercussions if they did break free. Yeah. And it's, I was like, it's no different than now. Well, and that's an interesting point because, Nate, you were talking earlier about, you know, these girls, they live at home. They're going to school, yeah. right? They're, they're, they seem to be living a normal life, but they've got this other thing that they're doing on the side. It, and it's, it's not the physical restraint. It's the mental and emotional restraint yep. that keeps them returning to that. Um, and I think that's another one of the common, you know, we talked about the common misconceptions, right? Is that it's not a physical restraint. It's, a, it's an emotional and a mental restraint yeah. that keeps them in the life. Yeah, that's very much the case. And that's, that comes out really with every victim that you talk to, right? It, they're not necessarily held against their will. Um, they were convinced that A, their family will never love them again. No one will ever love them again. They're not worth anything. But it started with this, typically, not entirely, but typically it started with this emotional relationship with the trafficker where mm-hmm. he, you know, he begins it as their boyfriend and that rapidly transitions into now she's being trafficked, right? And she always will come back to, but he's my boyfriend and he loves me and no one else will. And that, that continues her coming back. Right? And yeah, how many of these people are like, yeah, you know, he's still her boyfriend and she's making the money for him because they need the money. And so this is, is like, it's okay. I yeah. understand. And, it's, and yeah. oftentimes that's how he discusses mm-hmm. it with her before the first, you know, before the first time. Hey, we need the money. It'll only be a few times. After that, we'll get out of this. Right. And it just progresses. And at some point, if she realizes, hey, this is this is no longer a relationship, then it gets violent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, she's still convinced there's no one else that will care for me. My family won't have me back, right? When it comes to sex trafficking, like you said, people don't realize as much going on here because there for a long time, I didn't know how bad it was in our own country. You thought about sex trafficking, you think about Thailand, yeah, places like right. that where... Yeah. And then, you know, I was like, I was happy when we passed legislation that if, if they know you went to Thailand and you did this, that we could charge you here now. And which is pretty cool. You know, I'm not, I, I, but 
the fact that it still exists. It still yep. exists in Thailand. It's like, yeah, you know, people, and it's their biggest, one of their biggest trades yeah. is those houses. And they're like eight, nine-year-old girls and boys. And it's just like, why doesn't that government crack down? And if the rest of the world, you know, because it's European, it's not as, the American part of it has dwindled because of the, what happens here if, you, if they find out that's where you went there. But Europeans and other countries, they go there constantly for that. And it's their big trade, and they know it. And well, Amsterdam still yeah. has the red light district. But, right? that's, but, yeah. but that's regulated. It's still regulated to a point. They have to have a license. They have to be of age. And to a, to their actual okay, recognized well, part, no, not, not the right, under. Right, but know. how did it start? Right, yeah, like know, all these same issues come up. How did it start? Yeah. Uh, so I, I spent six months in Germany, mm-hmm. and there was a... Uh, right outside any you know military installation, yes, there's yes. going to be a strip club, right? Yep. And a strip club in Germany Pond is probably more club. than a strip club. And so it's like Lejeune, yeah. yeah no. it's, it's I mean they're they're all yeah, kind of the same, right? And uh, so these these girls were all Eastern Europeans, and mm-hmm. were every three days moved to a different place, and all of them would tell you, "Hey, we didn't we don't have our passports. The guy that brought us to Germany has my passport." Yeah. So it's regulated, and this is this is I guess my problem with the discussion in the U.S. about um, should we legalize this? Because yeah, there's, yeah. there's plenty yeah. of that movement out there. We've get, yeah we right. got the well with that we have the one illegal one in Nevada. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's plenty of legislation that's coming forward right now. Hey, let's legalize it. Um, it's better for the girls. Mm-hmm. And you ask yourself, well, if it's legal. How's it better for the girl? Yeah. Right? Because she can still be trafficked. Mm-hmm. But now that the trafficker is Can't just be her... Prosecuted. He's, he's just her business manager. Yeah, he's yes, not yeah. a trafficker, right? So so that, I think, is the failure within the, the U.S. sort of understanding of... I mean, even if it's legal, that doesn't mean that the trafficking doesn't happen. It doesn't mean that she's a willing participant. It just means that prosecution isn't really a, a, you know, a way to confront this. I think that was, I think that was a bad... Again, people see you know we talk about the you know the movies and stuff, but that series they did about the Bunny Ranch probably mm-hmm. made it even harder for people to see as a problem because these women are literally you know they did this whole yeah. what, two or three seasons on one of the paid net- networks where they oh well, we're treated great we get our choice and it's yep. you know it's like yeah but you're how small of a population and then uh, Dr. Drew Pinsky interviewed quite a few of them and the one she'd been raped like. She'd been a prostitute on the street before she went there, and she didn't rape. She's like, well, well over a hundred times. It's like, and he was like, and you're so you're still doing it. He couldn't get his head around it. Right. It's like, and this is a guy who deals with the trauma, and he's just could not. He's like, and you still think it's okay? And she's like, well, it's the only life I've ever known. It's like, and he said, that's that that right there is the issue. And then it comes down to, you know, things, and you delve, you can delve into it, and it's like, you know, there's other issues. And I mean, it was a it was a dark humor joke, but I remember when we were in the military, and still it was like if it wasn't for for bad fathers, there would be no porn industry or strippers. <laughs> and it, it was it was a you know that dark humor joke because yep. of and almost every marine dates or marries a stripper or you know that's just kind of how it works. Your first wife's always a stripper, and you have a thirty percent interest rate on a Dodge Charger. I mean, that's pretty much <laughs> how it works. Or or a Ford Raptor, depending yeah. on. But. And I mean, a buddy, yeah, a exactly. buddy of mine married a, a prostitute he met in Germany. You know, he married her, and you know, 
didn't work out real well, but he did marry her, you know. Brought her here, and as soon as they got here, and within a year or so, she was, you know, hey, I'm a citizen now, I'm gone. Yep. You know, but, I mean, and, and again, you know, someone I knew from a young age, you know, he, he would go to those places. It's like, man, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm more worried about what you're going to catch, you know. <laughs> you know. And, then, you know, it's just like, yeah. And then, again, the young ones. Do you know how old these people are? Do you really know? That's right. Especially buddies who go to Thailand. It's like, man, do you really know what you're getting into? Well, Henry Rollins. Yep. He did a great show where he talked about going to Thailand. But he went there as a tourist to see He wanted to sites. go to the zoo. Yeah, and the, the driver wanted to take him to the sex house. And he's yeah. like, because they would pay the cabbies to take, to take them there. To take the, the tourists to the sex house. He's like, no, I want to go to the he's zoo. He's like, no, I want to go to the zoo. And he's like, he's like, I'm sitting in the back seat and a binder flies yeah, over of, the front seat of, of where, nothing but want, little uh, girls. Of which one you want to go to? Of which, where, where do you want to go? You want, you know, you want to go? This, you want and he's like, no, I want to go to the, the zoo. zoo and see the king cobras. And, and, the, and the, the taxi driver was bummed out. Yeah, he said it was, and he just, he's like, I didn't realize, you know, he's like, I knew how bad it was, but not how bad it was. When you literally, you get in a cab and the guy gives you a band binder of the girls and the places. Like, it's no big deal. And he's just like, no, I'm actually going to go here, here, and here. I'm here to see the sights. And it's like, like oh, you want boys? Another binder yeah, comes I flying mean, over in like, the back seat, right? Yeah. It's, he's like, no, really? And it yeah. becomes that commenplace mentality. It's, it's not a big deal. Yeah. You Americans all come here for one thing. Yeah. 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 So right. I mean, and it's yeah. never the zoo. No, it's not the zoo. Well, we want to go to Thailand, but we want to go. Yeah, we want to go to Thailand, Thailand for Thai. different reasons. We want to go to the Muay Thai school in Thailand, but it still is like, man. But do you really don't want to go out. And I looked at some of these, you know, because there's a lot of people who go to Thailand for training. Yeah. And one of our gym mates, she went to Thailand yeah, for vacation. And Thailand stuff, for and vacation. Fun. But you know, it's like you really don't want to be here after dark. You, you need to stay here. We only go here. I went to Tijuana, and it was like, gringos can only should only be on this street and this street. Don't go here. And it's just like, okay. He's like, yeah, no, you know, they, the federales would actually stop you. Like, no, you're drunk American, you need to stay over here. Because you go down here, you're not probably coming back. Yeah. So it's like, okay. You know, and, and, but there, the, the, the police there would look the other way. And I mean, they're running brothels right there on the main street. You know, you could cross the border, and it's like, yeah, hey, it's okay. Like, so um, one of the things that we did want to talk about is, and we had talked about this a little bit before the show started. The Atlantic yeah. um, came out with a, a new article, I think Friday, yeah. and it was basically downplaying the severity of sex trafficking in America. Yeah. Um, which is kind of interesting because in 2016 they did an article on how children were the renewable resource of sex trafficking and what a big problem it was. Yeah. Um, I read the article. It made me. It made my head want to pop off. Um, it had a very we try not to get political, but it had a very po political bent to the article. But the one thing that, that I would like to discuss is how bad reporting actually harms the, the effort to get the word out about sex trafficking. Because back in the 80s, right, you had the satanic panic and you had... I remember the stories about, you know, they're going to kidnap you at, at King's Dominion, take you to the bathroom, shave your head, put a dress on you, put a wig, and carry you out of there because yeah. they think you're a girl, right? So there's all these panics, yep. right, that overblow the situation. I, I not overblow the situation, but they... Fear. They, they, well, it's, it's more of the, um, 
common myths, right? They play into the common myths of what sex trafficking is, right? It's all kidnaps. It's all, right, right. all, you know, it's all cloak and dagger stuff. Then they come out, again, they come out with the article now where for certain particular political reasons, oh, well, it's really not a problem. It's, you know, it's overblown. These organizations are politically bent for a particular side and they're trying to cast shade on the other political party, and we've already discussed this is a bipartisan problem, yep. right? Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Green Party, Libertarians, right? Everybody, this is a problem across the, uh, you know, across the spectrum. But what I want to talk about is, like I said, bad reporting, and what can we do to actually spread the word about this issue without becoming hyperbolic and having like the satanic panic or the head shaving kids in the bathroom. Right. Yeah. So I, I mean, you guys told me about the yeah. Atlantic article. I haven't read it. Um, I will say, any, you know, any newsworthy, journalistic, well thought of outlet in the U.S. Uh, should not publish something that says this isn't a problem when. In 2020, there was a 106% increase in reporting from uh, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. Yeah. Right, so they they say, hey, it's a it went up 106% from 2019, um, and then you have a, a reputable organization come out and say this isn't a problem. They can't both be true, right? You can't have a 100% increase in reporting and it not be. A matter of significant consequence. So I, I would love, and I, I will read the article later on today, but I would love for, for journalists to actually discuss why this is a problem and what communities ought to do about it. it it's a great news story to say this isn't a problem and everybody can get along, you know, on along their daily lives and not have to have this conversation. Um, and it comes back to it's a really easy thing to say this isn't a problem because now we can all talk about something else. Right? We can talk about the bad Army-Navy game where Army lost. But, <laughs> um, but the reality of it is if you just dig into the problem, you'll see that it's getting worse, not better. Right? When you see the statistics that are out there that are published by organizations that, that have no reason to make this a hyperbolic issue, to mm -hmm. use your word, or a partisan issue, right? When you talk about the National Center for Missing yeah. and Exploited Children publishing that number, that's not a number they want to publish. That's yeah. not a number they want to make up. They don't want to, to say, well, hey, look, this is a really terrible thing so they can drive their own fundraising, right? That's not what they want to do. And if you talk to them, they would say, well, hey, I'd, I'd prefer to be out of business and move on to something else. Um, so what is it that underpins journalists publishing articles that say this isn't a problem or it's a problem that's exacerbated by one party or the other, which, how can that be? It's, it seems like poor timing because we literally have Giselle Maxwell on trial for yeah. the yeah. idea of, of what it is. So it's like, is this a preemptive by this reporter who may know people that might be Implicated at the end of the day. I mean, they just, I mean, R. Kelly was just sentenced to basically life in prison for doing the same stuff. That's right. And then, you know, Epstein killed himself while in prison, while in jail, 
over this sort of stuff and his ties to you know the wealthy and it's like is that what this is is this your wealthy donors are like hey you know we need to downplay this because something's about to pop off and we want to make it like oh this is just normal it's not really that big of a deal yeah or, and the reality is you know the the wealthy men and women in yeah. the u.s are a small percentage mm-hmm. of the people that do this yeah it happens at at every level of the mm-hmm. United States. They just right? don't want to, they're the ones that have them, the people will recognize if their name well, is there. Yeah it's, yeah, it's newsworthy because they are wealthy, powerful people. But well, it's, it's, well, and the thing again, you have like the fakes and the myths. Like uh, they put out uh, when Epstein was on trial, I think it was either right before he committed suicide or right after he died, that they put out a list of all these people that were in his black book. And you look down the list, it's like, Dude, that guy was dead before Epstein was born. Errol Flynn couldn't have been going to his <laughs> island. He died before Epstein was born. Walt Disney, he was like four years old. No, you know, if you're going to put out something, but people kept sharing. It's like, do you even know the names that are on this list? Because you're, you're literally propagating more crap. Because then people are going to be like, oh, well, this is all fake. And it's like, you know. And, and, that, and that's, the, that's the thing about the hyperbolic journalism, yeah. right? Because... When the stories do come out, the real stories that are you know, relatively well covered by respectable journalists, right? They're not taken as seriously yeah. because of Epstein's little black book or the list of all the people that R. Kelly are, is going to tell on. Or, or they, don't make right? it, they don't make it the headline. They don't make it the major story. It's kind of like a blurb. It's, you know, 102 children were rescued in Georgia and 73 people were arrested in a sex trafficking incident on to sports. Yeah, it's like it's like a two-second blurb. It's like you said, people don't want to look at you. They they don't want to make eye contact. They want to look away because it's we are allowing this to happen in our country. No one wants to admit it. That's right. But we've 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 got to a point to where, like with with the propagation of social media and instant gratification and all this stuff, you can pretty much it's producing more and more, and it's also producing less empathy for each other. I mean, that's, I, th- I think that's the worst part of this, is that you don't have that human interaction. Everybody has friends on the social media and followers and all that crap, but they don't actually have human interaction so that when they do come in contact with something, they don't know how to act. They don't even care because they don't have that empathy for the next person. It's only about what matters to me. And then we isolated them, yeah. right? So yeah. the pandemic causes yeah. all these kids to be isolated and go to school online yeah. and and then they're online more, yeah. and then they're more easily targeted yeah. online, and so you see this massive upswing in trafficking in the U.S. My my son is 19, and I still listen when he talks to people on video games. <laughs> I pay attention. I um, I've been doing it since he was when he first asked us to do the online games and talk to people. I I listened. It's like yeah, but I'm listening. I'm sitting in here. And I would pay it to, I'd walk in randomly. It's like, you know, see what they're, you know. And he plays with the same couple people he's been playing with for years. And they're, it's not a problem. But I've also sat there and listened to people when I've like put his, you know, headphones on and played like the game sometimes. And you can hear just like random people talking, you hear people, and it's just like, what I was going on in, you know, these people's lives, you know, and you, you know. And well, it's, it'd be easy to easily to solicitate people, and then you have these services that just they just look the other way. Yeah, and one of the things that you know we we haven't covered real deeply yet is what do you, what do parents and their involvement look like, right? And where because no parent wants to be that 
really invasive parent yeah. that's always hovering over their kid, but there's got to be some level of protection, understanding about who they're talking to and what they're looking at. Everybody wants to be the friend. Yeah, everybody wants to be the cool parent. Well, I wanted to. We talked about this a little, a little bit earlier in the podcast, and I want this is a good place to bring it back up. So, we talked about the family connection with trafficking and how, and and the statistics behind family members who are trafficking. So, we we've kind of been talking about dichotomies a little mm-hmm. bit this this entire show. So, what does the family side look at it from the trafficking standpoint, and then what does the family side look at it? What you know, what you were just talking about about family interaction to prevent trafficking on that side. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I think, you know, when, like when I talk to mothers and fathers, when I talk to my own, own family who have kids, um, and I ask them questions like, okay, what, what rules do you have in place, right? What do you have for software that tells you what your son or daughter is looking at, who they're talking to? And most of the time, the, the answer back is nothing. Right? Or I have some rules and we've agreed to them and I, I trust that my son or daughter is gonna adhere to the rules. So I'll give you a story about that, right? I'm driving, uh, I'm still living in Oregon and I'm driving my niece out to uh, a cross country camps last summer. And she's talking about the fact that she's on one of the apps which can show her geographically where her friends are. And she mentions, hey, so-and-so is way up ahead of us on the road. And my, my brother had no idea that she was using that app that way, right? So when we get home that night, pour a couple of drinks and we're sitting on the back deck and I said, hey, you know, what, what do you guys have for rules and do you have any software on your phone? And you know, what, what, all that kind of stuff. Um, he says, well, you know, here's the rules we have established, and this was the first time that that had come up. And I think the reality is, you know, parents want to believe that the kids are going to do the right thing, but there also has to be the, you're checking on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and how do you do that with all of the technology that they now have access mm-hmm. to? And there's no one, like, perfect solution to that problem, right? There's software like Bark that, allows you to see what they're looking at um, and who they're talking to, but it only covers certain apps, not every app that's out there. And in the end, you, you have to do something more than, you know, whistle on by that graveyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be somewhat involved and you, you have to have the understanding that you're going to have a set of rules. And just like when you were a kid, you're going to break some of your parents' rules. They're probably yeah. also going to do yeah. that. Yep. The difference now is they can talk to anybody in the world about any conversation and you may not know that. Uh, and you've, you've got to do something to address the technology issue that you can't, you, know, you can't just confront by yourself or lock your kid in the room yeah, um, that that right. doesn't help. Yeah, grounding your kid only allows them to you know spend the rest of their life on the internet. Yeah. Not. So, so what are you doing about that as a parent? What are those rules? Are you comfortable with in the you know the use of some software to really understand m- more than you would if you weren't using it? What they're doing and who they're talking to. Um, and are you willing to say, okay, look like we're going to have these conversations and you know you're going to have access but 
we're going to limit that. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to be an involved parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've done that since the beginning. And my wife, uh, we bought, you know, give my son a tablet, but it's under her name. So she knows everywhere he goes because the program allows her to see what he does, yeah. where he goes, what, you know. And also because I control the Xbox Live account, I know who he's friends with. I know who sends him a friend request, if they send him a message or anything. Yep. So I can then say, okay, this, you know, who's this person? What did they send you? What is this message? And my son, you know, because we, we never sugarcoated. We, we told him, you know, explained to him from an early age, this, certain things are not acceptable. Certain things, whether it's school or family, that certain things, you know, you need to tell us. Yep. And even though now my son's a frost giant, I'm not, he's 6'4". He's head and shoulders above me. I wear his hand-me-downs. It's easier that way. He's a big boy. He's a huge kid. <laughs> but, four. yeah. He, yeah he's 18. Size, size 15 oh, shoes? No, he, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, 15 and a half. We have to order them online. But even now, I still tell him, like, you know, you need to know who you're talking to. And I've also, now he's starting to realize, it's like, if you're ever, if someone ever asks you about like a girl or wants you to see this, make sure you tell me, because that's how they get people in trouble. And you know, you read article after story after story. It's normally downplayed, but it's like you know, some kid took a picture of himself because he thought he had a girlfriend, sent it, and next thing you know, he's getting blackmailed, and you know, one poor kid killed himself over it. Mm-hmm. And it's like Dylan, do you know? Don't ever. Answer these people, and if someone is pushing, let me know, because then we need to investigate. You know, I need to find out who these people are. And I mean, I don't care how old you are; I'm still your dad, and I'm still the mean one. Uh, but you find, you know, I've had young girls. You go on, and you have these kids that are 14, 15 that are just talking to you like they're not adults. Like, I need you to get off this, this, you know, this page. You need to leave me alone. Quit talking to me. It's like, you know, I'm too, I'm old enough to be your granddad almost. You need to stop talking to me. And who, you know, where's your mom? Where's your dad letting you talk like this? Yeah. And it's just like, and you know, it's just like, and it's disturbing to see how easily it's just overlooked and how it's almost like become part of our society. Like it's not that big of a deal. It's, uh, it's just, well, all the stuff going on in some of our big cities. Literally have people saying, it's just part of living in a big city. You gotta get used to it. When people were complaining about the prostitution and the drug use and the the violence and and some of these areas are like, that's all part of living in the big city. That's like literally that's how you wanna you know, that's how you wanna explain it. Ah, it's just just get used to it. It's like, no, I mean we've we have a few here in our town that, you know, we've had people arrested for prostitution. It's never really a big deal because again, you know, like you said, Stanton's a tourist town. So they don't make a big deal about it, but they'll pick them up. And we have guys getting, you know, there's, it's some, it's disturbing. Cause you'll, you know, just seeing sometimes when you see someone get arrested for stuff and especially if you knew them, it's like, man, I knew that guy, you know, we went, we went to school together. We did this together. I had no idea, you know, and it's, and it's normally family related. It's like, you know, it was his niece or his granddaughter, or his, you know, and it's just some, some scary stuff and this and then it just blows out from there i've got a i've got a friend of mine he and his wife came over for dinner one night and we were talking about you know he's got a daughter i think 11 or 12 years old and just asking how she was doing and they took the the hands-off approach right at first 
they're like, they asked me, have you ever heard of X? And luckily I knew about X. And I was like, yeah, you need to check on what she's looking at. And because, because of this, this, and this. And they went back and looked and they were like, oh. And it wasn't trafficking, it was something else. But they were like, yeah. So they restricted her access and they ended up you know, changing schools because she was starting to go down a road that they were not aware of. Yep. So the, you know, the parental, I mean, they are to Jerry's point, they're your kids. They're not your friends. Yeah. Right. You need to remember that. Yeah. Right. I don't, yeah. I, I tell mine all the time. It's like, I don't care if you like me or not. I'm your dad. <laughs> you don't have to be my buddy. You know, I'm cool. If we're, I love to be, you know, cool, but I'm still, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still your dad. I'm responsible for you. And you're not, you know, this is not going to happen and I'm not going to allow it. And, you know, it's, it's a weird concept to get your head around because you're just, you know people don't care and then people do and then it's almost there's no middle ground it's either you actually want to confront it and deal with it or you're just like it's not that big of a deal just let it go yeah. let's talk about something else you know if they didn't want to do it they would they wouldn't it's like you know and that's, and that's that seems to be at least from the from a male's point of view is typically it's always well if they didn't want to they wouldn't right it's like dude have you ever talked to your girlfriend or your wife into something i mean it, you know? th that's really a story that yeah. we and i'm gonna say we in general but like that's a story that we tell ourselves yeah. right that a john tells is, themselves yeah. right oh they would and it's to mollify their own guilty Guilt. conscience right 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 oh they wouldn't be here if they didn't want to be right so that's their method of of not making eye contact and talking about the game Right, yeah. or if, the, if she's they getting find, paid, yeah, she's or getting if paid. they find out that she's underage, well, she looked older. Yeah, yeah, because that makes all, all the time you see. Well, she looked old enough, dude. I just don't care, man. That's just you know. Well, she looked like she was old enough, and it was her idea. Yeah. Uh, okay, so she. Yeah, man. All right. So we're cro sure. we crossing these borders and these boundaries that are starting to get, and you know, you get into that dark place and, and most people I guess again because of social media and the life and Hollywood and all these things people they only see when they think of sex trafficking and the bad stuff they think of the, the girl that you're gonna go into a room where it's locked and then you go in and she's handcuffed or chained well that's that's the bad stuff yep. there's other stuff where they're in a nice hotel and they're wearing nice clothes you know, all that, yeah, that, that's, you know, she's wanting to be there. She's making a lot of money. I mean, yeah, you see, I've, people put stars, well, I'll make, I'll make five or six grand in a good weekend if there's a convention in town. Yeah. Okay. And How much see, of it do you actually yeah. get? But the idea, but they're, they're putting, they play Not that idea matters, like, but, but they're playing that idea like, yo, you can make a lot of money off of this. Yeah, but, you know, that's, you know, that's not, doesn't make it right, doesn't make it good, nope. just nope. because some girl, you know, you, you're telling yourself, oh, well, she's making a lot of money. Just, you just charge me five hundred bucks. Yeah. So let let somebody's making a lot of money. Yeah. So yeah. So, so let's let, let let's pick a particularly painful scab. Okay. What's the tie-in between pornography and trafficking? I mean, I think it's very significant. Um, you know, so th there's a couple of recent news articles about Pornhub and the mm -hmm. fact that they're hosting a bunch of amateur porn, which is actually girls that are being trafficked that are yeah, not yeah. doing that, and it's against their will. So the, I think the, the question that raised in my mind was, 
what do we really understand about the pornography industry today versus you know what it was when it started how it's transformed over time and are these all willing participants or not and i would say that i'm sure there are still plenty of willing participants that make their living doing that mm -hmm. right and there's a whole host of girls and young men who are not willing participants who are getting involved in that because it's the same as advertising that person and then setting them up for a date mm -hmm. right now you're just taking them somewhere to get recorded mm -hmm. and i think that that comes back to the you know what what is the responsibility of the hosting site and are they actually addressing their responsibilities or not as the first sort of step right because they know it's being posted there so they should know who those people are yeah do they or don't they you know first question if if they know that that's someone that's underage what are they doing about it next question um so i think there's a, a huge misunderstanding and it goes back to the same thing as well she's making money or there's there's it's a victimless crime well, it's pornography, and so everybody's belief is, well, that's a willing participant. But the yeah. reality is, that's probably no longer entirely the case. Right? Yeah. Well, even back in the old days, uh, with 70s, 80s, there was the one that uh, Linda Lovelace. Well, and Tracy Lords. Yeah, neither one were. Linda Lovelace was supposed right. to be one of the most popular ones back in the 70s and 80s. She wasn't a willing participant. It was She was taken there by her that's right. Handler, and he basically she didn't have a choice. She did these movies, he made the money, and it was basically how, you know, but she became a huge star, but people didn't realize it wasn't exactly because she wanted to. And then right. Tracy Lords was underage. She was, yeah, drastically underage when she got started. She was 15 when she got started, had a heroin, had a heroin problem. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, you know. and that she made how many movies before she was 18, and then they had to go back. And scrub the internet yeah. and take them all off. And it was, and I mean, you know, you find that out, you know, She's older than we are, so it's, you know. But I find, you find that out through an article, and then she's doing you know, movies now, and then she wrote a book, and it's just like, you know, finally, you know, she's like, yeah, I was fifteen. Yeah. And then the first movie she made, she didn't, she didn't know then. She did when later on, her co-star, he was underage, and it's just like, you know, neither one was of age, and she, you know, now they're like, well, that the producers did that so that there couldn't be no. They couldn't charge them for an adult being with her, but they still put it out on. So oh, still, yeah, that's right. Child pornography, but the child pornography—it's like they'll charge one person with a serious charge, and someone else will get lesser. Um, that uh, the dude from that what 19 and County—he's facing two charges hmm. for for possession of child pornography. But they're only—he's only facing like a fine and maybe a little jail time. Yeah. It's like. But they only charge him with two counts. But yeah, he had a computer full of it. Yeah. So how much did you know they drop off? And then you'll get somebody who has uh, locally. We had the the what a big deal here locally, Harrisonburg. Oh yeah. Big real estate agent in Harrisonburg. Yeah, the real estate agent. For something like twenty-seven thousand images, and rolling him up, they rolled up a couple other people. Yeah. And the back, their people were upset. Not be, you know not because he got arrested, but they were upset because. They let him bail out, but a young guy who had like four images on his got a bunch of time. He yeah, they didn't give him bail or anything. They're like, you know, this guy has money, so he's able to bail himself out. And this younger guy, who may or may not have been, you know, realizing what he was looking at, you know, that this guy was sending him was underage or not, he's still in jail waiting trial. It's hmm. like you know, and it's and a, 
it's like, okay, so if you have a little bit of money, you can buy your, your way out of certain things. I mean, Ep- I mean Epstein, I mean, before he, he gets, for this big deal, and, you know, he, are, he was serving house arrest for, like, ridiculous amount of charges because the attorney general of New York was his friend. And the governor was his buddy, and he'd give them money for their campaign. So, oh, you can just serve it at your house. You can serve, you can serve home confinement at his mansion. And they still let him leave the country. Oh, yeah, you need to go. Oh, yeah, you got to go to Europe this week. That's okay. Just we've, check in. We've talked more about Epstein on this episode than we have. But it, but, it, but, it, but it works. But it ties yeah. in because he is now, he's the big name. Yeah, exactly. So people think a child sex trafficking, but there's still people who are making exceptions for him. Well, most of them are college girls. Right. Well, a lot of them are older. Well, you know, and only a couple of them are younger. And did you know? And 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 they're making they they want to make these excuses. Well, he's rich, and they're just doing it for the money. Yeah, Maxwell's family is saying she's only being prosecuted because Epstein is dead. Yeah, and she's a tie-in because she didn't have anything to do with that, right? I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, sure. there's a there's love a means finishing each other's sentences. Yeah, <laughs> there's a couple other names that are already popped up. Like, uh, there's a well-known model. I'm not gonna say her name. I don't want to get in trouble, but her name has come up as one of her recruiters. And she's well named. We'll also tell you off the air, but as one of her recruiters, she helped talk young girls into working for them. And I mean, they're, they're t- that it's just the, the amount of look the other way. Well, really, was it a bad thing? Because most of them were, were college girls, and he was helping them. He paid for their college if they did this. It's like, but the ones that weren't, and the ones who weren't willing, and all these victims are like, no, I wasn't willing. No, I wasn't part of this. My so and so knew him, and yeah. And there's an interesting dynamic with the traffickers where they start to use, you know, other members that they're trafficking mm-hmm. to run the girls right and to mm-hmm. do the recruiting. And and it's it's incredibly unfortunate. It's hard to understand, but in the end, it comes down to, hey, if you do this for me, you'll have to see less clients yeah. yourself, right? Yeah. So. So they get a lot of jail time for being part of the trafficking system. Mm. Um, and I won't say that they shouldn't get time, but when you look at how it all yeah. occurs, you're asking her to you know, get somebody else to do it so she doesn't have to. Yeah. It's kind of a Stockholm. It's kind of a Stockholm situation, right? Because she's seen. Yeah, Yeah. she's she sees a way to get out of herself being abused. That's right. Right, but she's still in the mental. But think about that. All ties back into arguing about slavery. No, I completely agree. Yeah, you would have your overseer typically was a slave. That's right, and And he would get better food and better benefits if he made sure everybody else towed the line so he would enforce the rules even though he himself could not go anywhere yeah and it's, it's a tough tough thing to understand and, and, and i never will but and when i try to explain to people in that dynamic then sometimes sometimes they're like oh i didn't think about it like that yeah. or they're like nah man that don't make no sense it's like dude how does it make sense it's the same idea there was more and before the civil war started there were more slaves in some of these areas than there were people then they were free men. So why didn't they just leave? It's because they were afraid of the ramifications. Yep. And these girls are the same way. These boys are the same way. And I tell you, it's probably as bad for boys as it is for girls because if a boy is being treated, especially a young man is being treated this way, who's he going to tell? Well, the stigma that surrounds yeah, that is so bad. Yeah, because right? you don't want to... Yeah. Like I said, we used to, you know, being a young man, you used to joke about porn. You know, he's like... 
you know, I, I even did it as a joke. I wrote a thesis in a school for, you know, our senior thesis was supposed to be what you want to do when you grew, you know, your career. And just to be, you know, the, to be a problem, I wrote it on pornography. Like, I didn't think they'd approve it, but they did. Dream but job. I started, yeah. but I started deep diving into it. And it's all the drugs, the ODs, the, the diseases, but also that 90 some percent of the male participants have to do man on man. They don't actually do the, that, that's what they're required to do. It's like, okay. And then my teacher, my, uh, you know, said like, that's the reason we wanted you to do it. Because he was an older guy. And he's like, you know, I wanted you to realize what, you, you know, just because what you see, you might have seen on a, on a movie or, you know, you think that's cool. That's only like a small percentage. Most of them are either, they don't want to be there. Or then they get caught up in that. And he's like, you, you know, how are you going to live that life? Yeah. Well, and the thing yeah. about, the thing about pornography is we talked about the stories that, and I, I use the colloquial we, right? But yeah. the Johns tell themselves yeah. that they're getting paid. They're, you know, they, they wouldn't be there if they didn't want to be. Those stories are even easier to tell for porn. Yeah. Right? But it's still... Oh, yeah, it's a point. It, it, it's still it's a, propagating the, the, the life and the issue, right? right? Because there is such a tie-in between pornography and trafficking. Yep. And then you... Listen, you know, big fan of the Dreaming Bros podcast. Especially the, you know, when it was originally, you know... The, uh, the original three when they were doing it, they would talk about that stuff. And they used to always pick on the one about watching it. But he was talking, but he was, you know, and he'd be silly about it. But he was talking about, like, you know, he was amazed at the, like, the leading categories. And they had, they had a couple porn stars come on and they interviewed him. And, you know, it's no big deal. But they were like, the one, you know, he would talk about, and then these women come in, they're like, yeah, the leading category is like family. Yeah, it's like, like incest or brother incest, and sister. Brother, right. Stepmom, stepson, mom, you know. And she was like, and they're like, what? And they're like, yeah. They're like, that's that's what people want to see. And they're like, okay, that's a little weird. And then it was like, and then the next one was like the domination idea. And then there's, then they're like, yeah. Then there's a whole series on escort, where you're, you know, and it's the whole, and it's like, oh. And one guy was like, well, no, it that, it, that starts to, you know, downplay the real life because mm -hmm. they're making it into movies and they're like right. little acting and people are like, oh well, you know, you know, you watch it on 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 your your phone or your tablet it's not that big of a deal really you know these people are doing it so when it happens in real life you don't you know, you, you, you're it desensitizes you to the real life stuff yep because you're you're in, you know well and that and that kind of comes back to the bad reporting right because the bad reporting desensitizes to pu the public to the real issues mm -hmm. and the real stories right yeah and we can talk about you know the hypersexualization of our of of our society in general, what that's done, but that's a whole other story. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the 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 pornography thing and the oh well, they're all just actors and it's just a genre, yeah. right? It right. it changes the flavor of of how that's perceived by the, by the public. Yeah. Um, so, question for you: So, what can normal people do? Like, Jerry and I talk a lot about situational awareness, and Jerry will stick his nose into places where it doesn't necessarily, <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll stick his nose in, into stuff. and, and you know, that angry dwarf syndrome. A, yeah, angry dwarf syndrome. Um, but what can normal people do um, in order to help out the situation? Yeah, so I, I think there's a, a number of things, right? The, the first one is just be willing to pay attention and ask the question, right? And this happens all the time, right? There are always people who, who, after the fact, understand someone close to them was involved in something like this, 
or having a difficult time and they, they didn't step in. Um, so pay attention and just be willing to ask the question, do you need help, are you okay? Um, that's, that's one. Two, as a community, are you willing to raise your community's awareness? So are you willing to call, you know, call your local um, nonprofit, your local community, your local police department, hey, we, our church, our, you know, book club or whatever would like you to come talk to us about this and just get a better understanding of what that looks like and what your area and its issues with this really are. So again, you know, you're not going to solve this by believing that the police, your local PD can handle it all on their own. They, they can't, right? Mm -hmm. There's too much of it going on and they have too many other things to do. Is the community willing to get involved? Uh, and then I think the third one is if you don't, if you do those first two things and you're willing to continue sort of in your progression, are you willing to get involved yourself? Are there volunteer uh, opportunities out there to, to actually do something about this? The answer is yes. Um, can every nonprofit that has a good cause use uh, a, a broader base of support? The answer is always yes, right? I mean, not nonprofits across the U.S., have seen this massive uptick in giving to them over the mm -hmm. last two years. And that's because, well, there's a lot of people out there that need a lot of help. And it's not just with trafficking, but that is certainly also one of the issues. Are you willing to support your, your nonprofits in your local area that, that help you in these areas? If that's what you can do, great. If you can donate time, that's great. If you can just ask for them to come talk to you about these issues, that's great. Um, but you gotta be willing to do more than nothing at this point. And I, I think those those three things really start to impact the problem. The one thing I'll tell you as a person whose day job is to do this is we, we will never have enough people, enough time, or enough money to really impact the growth we're seeing if communities don't get involved. Yeah. If they don't get involved, you know, it's a losing proposition every time, right? There's not enough uh, people who want to do this as a day job uh, to really impact it. You need the community involvement. You need communities reporting on what they're seeing. You need communities calling the local PD. You need the hotel, you know, staff behind the desk to be willing to step in and call the police. None of that happens. It doesn't matter how much effort and money is behind it. You're not going to get there. So there's got to be that involvement. And there's there's three easy ways to do it, right? Just ask um, ask for someone to come out and talk to you, pay attention to your local kids and ask them if they're doing okay and be willing to step in when you see an issue and, you know, from time to time, either donate your money or your time to a good cause. You pick the cause. Um, but there's, there's a lot of ways to, to do this, but given the growth that we're seeing, I mean, there's more people participating than not. What well, does the growth yeah. look like? What, what have you guys seen over the last several years? Yeah, it's been, you know, if, you, if we, we, we use other people's statistics, mm -hmm. right? Um, so National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, 100% increase in reporting in 2020 versus 2019. Um, when we look at the numbers of girls being advertised online, so on any given day in the U.S., on those websites on the open internet, 150,000 girls a day 
advertised online. Jesus. 150,000, right? And that's when you separate out all the duplicates and all that stuff. Yeah. Now you heard me mention earlier, we're not looking at the dark web. Yeah. So I don't know what those numbers look like, but if you add 150,000 to those numbers, okay, we're in the, we're in the wrong position in mm -hmm. this. And um, the dark web is the more, the more, it's the little, yeah, little that's the, the stuff that you're going to, you know, you're going to get locked up for a long time for, right? So, um, so they make it hard to access, but that means it's also hard to really counter. Yeah. Right. Um, so the, the numbers are growing, not shrinking. Um, we looked at, you know, it, it changes sort of geographically and uh, what, what hosting site is more popular in certain towns. But I asked the, the folks that do this as their day job, right, our analysts, say, take a look at Charlottesville for me on a weekday weekend and look at Richmond. And so here's, here's the numbers. So uh, Charlottesville daily, weekday, about 30 girls advertised online, 30 on the open internet, weekday, Charlottesville, weekend, 40 to 50. And that's just on two websites. Yeah. Well, there's, you know, a number of websites out there that host this stuff. That was just two. Richmond, they couldn't even count the number. All right. So you got to be able to sort it. And so that would tell me it's more than 100 on a weekday and, you know, dramatically more than that on the weekend. What's the difference? Well, you're on I-95, mm -hmm. so that matters. So being on a corridor matters. Being in a large town where there's going to be a population of people that are going to come in and out, that matters. Mm -hmm. um, being close to or in sort of a triangle, right? Football so games. D.C., Charlottesville, Richmond. Um, yeah. I mean, and then having places. an event that attracts people to it, that also matters. Having UVA. Yeah. Play, play football games. Yeah, basketball I mean, if, games, big if, name basketball. If there's people that are traveling into a place for something like that, they have the money to do it. What does that yeah, say? Well, yeah. they have that's the the time and opportunity that uh, that they're gonna take, right? So, Farmville, Virginia is pretty bad too. They've they've had a lot of arrests for prostitution rings in Farmville, which it's yeah. down there in Lynchburg. Yeah. yeah, they have a lot of drug problems. Farmville's become a real problem, and Front Royal, Front Royal is a problem. Huh. Front Royal at one point was fighting MS-13 because well, they yeah. moved into that region, and it's you just Front Royal's is yeah. tiny, not a big town, yeah. But it's there's, not far from a, the interstate, and and there's a lot of poultry processing. Of, yep. So, so yeah. Of, yeah. The, the other the other comes with the first, and it's just like you have the transient uh, migrant workforce, and then you have the, the stuff that comes with it, yeah. and good or bad and then you know you have good stuff and you have bad stuff and it seems like there's certain areas that start to have problems because of what's located there and it's normally a small town because there's no real so there's no one really to fight it yep. and it's just you know uh, bad yeah and with drugs come the rest yeah right that's, mm -hmm. that's oh yeah that's where it starts and then it all goes down all, all, all crimes well, of vice kind of yeah. cluster together that was a I think it was last weekend or the weekend before I talked about the so Colorado now they legalized almost everything now yeah, yeah. and now they're, they're wanting to remove the term sex offender because it's harmful to sex offenders that's literally their idea it's like well it's hurtful to them to be known as sex offenders so we're gonna they wanna the, the first idea is to make uh, adults with sexual crimes is the term 
And then they're thinking about other things because they don't want them to be stigmatized for life for committing this crime. It's like, well, that's kind of the point. They shouldn't have done it. We have that registry for a reason. Yeah, and right. they're, but there's all this movement to pull them off the registry and that the registries are mean and that they're evil. And it's like, okay, if you're an 18, 19 year old boy, your girlfriend's 16, 17, something happens and you catch a charge, okay, I can understand you. when you're in your 30s, you shouldn't be on a registry because that was, you turned 18, she wasn't, you made it, you know, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. But if you're in your 40s, and you're messing with, you know, and you're doing things, your name needs to still be on there. And I don't care what your excuse is. And so is, to that point, is older boyfriend, younger girlfriend, is that a warning flag for trafficking? It is. And I, I would, yeah, you have to be careful with representing that the wrong way, right? So like, he turns 18, they've been in high school. Yeah, but I mean like a 40-year-old, like 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 18, 16-year-old yeah, girl. It, yeah. it is very much when, when you see you know a guy dating a high schooler and he's not from that high school and they didn't know each other and there's there's um, there's definitely this the signs where you should be concerned enough to step in as the parent, right? I'm not saying that they're, they don't care for each other, they're not in love, but how did they meet? Mm-hmm. What, what venue did the 20-year-old or 25-year-old go to where he met the 16-year-old? And that seems like a normal thing. Mm-hmm. And, and so oftentimes, yeah, it's very much a, a person who's a little bit older who had no business being where they were or approached a group of girls. And you know, one of the traffickers told us, because he asked him, well, how is it you pick the girl, right? And he said, well, they're, they're all a little different, but... This one stood out. He said, I, I will walk up to a group of girls that are, you know, wherever they are, and I'll say, oh, you guys are so pretty. And the one that looks away is the one that I'm going to go after because she's not confident and oh, I know wow. I can break her. Right? If the girl says, hey, thanks, and just keeps on going about her day, he's not going after that girl. Okay. So, you know, this gets back to instilling confidence in your kids and all that kind of stuff. But, but in the end, what was he doing there in the first place? Stalking. Yeah. Watching. Right. And so, yeah, there's there's definitely indicators of, okay, why why are these two people involved? How did they meet in the first place? Um, and, and then, you know, the thing that we discuss with parents is, how do you have that conversation with your kids without pushing them away from you and toward him? Which also happens a lot, right? If you set these, these hard lines, if you see him again, we're throwing you out of the house. Yeah. Okay, that causes exactly what you don't want to happen. So yeah. how do you address these things and have these conversations with your kids in a way where they're willing to <coughs> talk about it, you understand what they're doing, you're, you're able to then step in without forcing them in the direction that the trafficker wants them to go anyway. Yeah, where they're going to sneak out and join him and disappear. Yeah, and, and routinely that's what the trafficker wants is yeah. separation from the family. Right. So You're playing right into his hands at that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's... It's becoming, it's, I've recognized it just over the time. Like I said, joke, you know, joking about being online of how many people proposition you. And it's hilarious. And most time, as soon as I, if I get someone trying to follow me that had zero posts or, and it's just like, no, I'll just block you right off the bat or report yeah. it. Because you know that's typically a fake. Or if they, all the pictures drop on the same day. That's another one that I've learned is a big key that if it's a, supposed to be a you know, female, if all their pictures are the same day, but it's yep. different times that they all got dropped within a few. It's someone who stole someone's pictures and are trying to run 
either a scam or it's someone, you know, or something else. So be aware. But these social medias, most of the time, they don't block take them down either. You had they had a lawsuit, I think, in Texas where a mom, you know, well, the young girl was involved too, but they had to sue Facebook over them pulling down pictures of her from her trafficker. And Facebook, they had to go to court and get sued over because they're like, oh, what's freedom of speech? No, it's, it's not even the young, it's not, how is it freedom of speech when it's a minor? I got propositioned through my Fitbit Yeah, account. through his Fitbit. Yeah. yeah, he was getting, yeah. Like, he was I got, like, so yeah. I got, I got, you, you get yeah. the Fitbit, right, and it's yeah. got the app, and like, you can, there's a social Compete, yeah. aspect yeah. to it where you can create teams. I got two just like out of the blue, like, hey, do you want to be on my team? And the avatar was like from here down of a naked girl. It was like, if you're interested, email me at like this. I'm like, this is a pace counter. What am I, how am I getting naked women through my pace counter? My wife is like, yeah, how are you getting naked women through the pace counter? (laughs) What have you been looking at? I was like, that's not fair. Yeah, that's, yeah. But yeah, I mean... Well, to find out that uh, you buy those nice baby monitors for your kids' rooms that are visual, so you can be downstairs and, and look, and people can hack people them. People can hack and those. And the yeah. scariest thing oh, yeah. is the new one of the newest exercise fads, the mirror. Yep. Yeah. Which is Wi-Fi. So unless you got really good Wi-Fi, people can see you, and they can, and apparently they it can be cut on remotely. Yep. So oh, yeah. if you have it in your bedroom, if people can watch, which whether you want them to or not, and it's like if you're. You know, woman's getting dressed for whatever, and you know, they can watch her. It's like social media is great, technology is great, but it's enabling all this other stuff. Like you said you, they're putting girls on sale. Yeah. And it becomes that again. It's that you're not actually asking. You're not talking to that individual yourself. You're doing all the self from your phone, your tablet. So there's no human contact. So when you go there, you're, you've already got yourself psyched up to do it. You probably don't pay your money. They go in, do their thing, and leave. And to them, it's they've done these, you know, and they don't care. And, and I hate to say it, but most people don't care. You know, it's if it doesn't affect me, it's none of my business. Well, it's the, like I said, it's the stories, and I'm using the colloquial we, right? It's the stories we tell ourselves, right? Yeah. Yep. It's it's the John story. It's the, the mollification of their conscience, right? Yeah. It's if I don't do it, someone else will. Yeah. Am I really hurt? I didn't hurt her. And you see, yeah, I mean, there's been people who've been arrested for, you know, messing with little girls, and I'm like, well, I didn't really hurt her. Well, you know, I go on these rants. They, uh, a cop was sentenced to house arrest. He was convicted of rape, but the judge gave him house arrest because he didn't actually physically hurt, and he didn't believe he emotionally hurt his victim, so he would let him serve his time on house arrest. It's like, one, that's just crazy. Two, this is a law enforcement officer. He should be held to a higher standard because that's his strong thing and he violated that so badly and you're going to just give him house arrest but then we're supposed to you know then you have the other side well we you should respect and stand up for law enforcement but then you got the law enforcement and then he gets that and a officer who'd been like you know police officer been in the force for a long time was forced to retire loses he's gonna lose his pension because he had consensual sex with his girlfriend in in his car which was stupid but it was his, his girlfriend in his car. And yeah, what you know, being yeah, in his cop car was, was dumb. But he's going to lose everything over that. Yeah. And it's like, how do we, you know, how do you justify this guy's going to lose everything he worked for before, you know, a fling with his girlfriend? You know, she, maybe it was one of their little bucket list things, you know, before he <laughs> retires. Okay. 
And a guy who does, he violates every aspect of his sworn oath, and then he, oh, we're just going to put you in, you know, house arrest, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, you, you really want to rely on the police to to be perfect. And, that, you know, I'm, I'm the son of a police officer, yeah. so I can say, you know, they're, they're no more perfect than anybody else. They're all human. The mil- yeah, military. Human too, right. we, covered, we covered the fact that the military, the Navy, yeah. wiped the egg off their face because they were running, uh, running the, uh, the, the ring brothel in Bahrain. in Bahrain. They moved them from Thailand and the Philippines to Bahrain. And the, the arguments were, well, none, they were all adults. They weren't forced, but they were running a sex trafficking ring yeah. off a of base with these young girls. And it's, and, I, and honestly, the way everything read, it wasn't the fact that they were running a brothel that embarrassed the Navy. It was because they did it in a Bahrain because of you know their religious and their culture. That is such a huge yeah. no-no to them. That's what was the embarrassment. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the fact that they were doing it. It's like where you chose to do is probably the yeah, problem. You know, if you'd have done it here, maybe not as much. You know, if you did it in Lejeune or you know, to, to call Ahmed the dead terrorist location, location, location. location. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful where you do things. You know, and I think that's what. And but again, and how many times I've read articles and buddies have sent me stuff. They're like, man, this, you know, they're gonna let this, you know, sergeant major go. He's going to get no charges for this and this and this because of where his rank is or what he did. You know, they had uh, a senior officer get – he got away with it for a while, and then the previous administration caught wind of it, and they brought him back up. And he had, you know, his molested two of his daughters, had all these charges, and they were just going to yeah. – and let him retire with his pension. It's like, just shh, don't tell anybody. Yeah. It's we, like, you know. We were just looking at something the other day, and uh, – <clears throat> It was surprising. So my last job, I, I had a lot of misconduct uh, that I had to deal with. And yeah. it was surprising how senior it was. Mm-hmm. Right. And we're a little far afield, but I'll tell you that the military oftentimes defaults to not impacting their their retirement benefits and pension, and they tie it to the family, not to the offender. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and on its... There's two ways to look at it, right? It's a, a great that the family keeps the benefits, and B, what are you telling to all those other offenders yeah. out there that are still doing it? Their families aren't going to get crushed yeah. if they get caught. Yeah. So they, there's no deterrent value in that, yeah. right? And so the question is, okay, are we really seeing it for what it is and how we, we're supposed to handle it? And I, I don't think that when you do that, you are. Because if a cop goes to prison and loses all his benefits, that's one thing. But if a, a uniformed service member loses their benefits for doing something similar, well, it's just unconscionable. We can't do it, so we're going to allow it to. Why is that? Right? We we talk about police on our own because we've we've had a real uh, the BJJ community's been dealing with some real bad stuff here lately. We had a, a very well known um, black belt belt and fight camp and studio get brought up in sex charges. Uh, one of his black belts was having sex with one of his students who was underage. And apparently he'd been grooming her since she was like 11. Uh, started having sex with her she was 16. And it got, people knew about it, but kind of looked at it. And then they found out that he'd done this stuff before and they had shuffled him around. Yeah. And now he fled the country uh, instead of facing charges. And it's this, and then you, you start reading these, you know, where there's more and more charges. And some of them are, you know, you got to look at what's being said, but it's just, you know, so our, the BJJ community 
is now trying to deal with their own. And there, there's a lot of punishments. Like uh, this one fight camp, they're no longer allowed to participate in pretty much most of the major tournaments. They've banned them. Wow. If you go to that school, you're affiliated, especially if you're a high-level affiliate, you're yeah. no longer allowed to participate in anything we do. And a lot of schools, no, you know, a lot of organizations no longer deal with them because you allow this to happen under your watch. You're just as culpable as he is. So, and again, it's policing your own, whether it's law enforcement, military. Yep. Uh, we talked about the Loudoun County thing, and I had a little talk about that because they were, a lot of the conversation with the kid, was the boy was dressing as a girl, so he was using the women's bathroom. And they were afraid because Virginia uh, passed legislation uh, last summer that an individual can use whatever bathroom they, they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were afraid that th- him raping this girl while wearing a dress would mm-hmm. make them look bad. So then they didn't want to prosecute. It's like it became politics po- about politics in your group instead of about a predator. All that had to happen was like, you know, they're like, well, it could affect what people think of transgenders. No, transgenders would just be like that. But doesn't don't represent, represent us. This is a predator. Yeah. We don't represent this, and but no one gave them the opportunity. the opportunity, they just hushed it up. And it I'm comes to a, it comes to a, it comes to a point to where you, you have to police your own. Uh, and you know, Scott said, you know, you have these other organizations, especially look, you know, we had a few locally that would, oh, we're here to help, and they were taking advantage of these people. Yeah. And it, it said, you know, you walk, the guy told you, you walked up and you found the easiest victim, and you know. And that's, that's so easy. I mean, when I we used to play football, I mean, that was used to be the joke is the guy on the punt, the punt team or the kick team who would, who would move was the one that you would target because you knew he wasn't going to block you. You'd run right at him because he's going to step aside because he doesn't want to take that hit. And, just, you know, this is the same thing. You find the weakest link. Yeah. And you can explore it. And well, the, what – you made the joke, but you brought it home, right? This the trafficker that said, "I go for the girl who looks away," right? And and the joke about you know without daddy issues yeah. there wouldn't be porn stars or, yeah. or prostitutes, right? That's the flip side of the same coin. I mean, it's a yeah. joke, but it, it it's kind of yeah. true, right? If we don't raise strong daughters yep. and implement some sort of not control over their life, but like good boundaries for Just them to grow there. up in and be in their life, right? They're going to be a greater target for sex trafficking. They're going to be a greater target for drugs. They're going to be a greater target. They're going to be abused in relationships. Yeah, they're going to be. Right. They're going to have shitty relationships with the rest of the men in their life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it all comes back to the family and, and yeah. what they're doing and the community and what they're doing. And and you know, the BJJ thing is a good example yeah. of a community stepping in to police itself. So, in any community, that can be the case. And in any community, it may not be the case. Well, it should be. I mean, uh, how many times uh, you always hear people like, well, they should tax, you know, you you see these certain uh, people say, well, they should tax people more. People should pay more taxes so then the government can dispute it, you know, among the needy. But that's never the idea. It should always be community-based. Community-based yeah. tends to have the biggest impact in people's lives. And the yeah. same thing goes for this. You want, you know, you said yourself, there's never enough money, people, unless yeah. people do something. Community-based is where it's going to have to be. It's going to have to be the father. Especially, I, it's going to have to come from the fathers. Fathers are going to have to start paying attention. Because if 
we're not, you know, if we're not there, that's a problem. Yeah. Someone's going to fill our role. And if you're a douchebag, <laughs> if you're treating your wife or your, you know, the mother of your children like crap, that's what your daughter is going to see is acceptable. That, that's what they expect from a relationship. That's what with they see is expected. That's what they expect. I have never called my wife a name. We've been married. We just celebrated 20 years of marriage. We've had arguments, but I've never put her down. I've never called her a name because I don't want my son to think that's acceptable. I will not tell her him back talking to his mother. It's like, boy, you know, you might be bigger than me, but you know I can still, you know, we've been on this mat. You know what happens. So it's like you do, and I've told him, it's like you do not talk to people that way, especially women, especially your mother. But there should be a certain amount of respect. And, I mean, I've had words with my own family over the way they talk, you know, um, my brother, the way he talks to his wife. And the things he'll say, it's like, dude, that's not acceptable. In any way is that acceptable? Because your kids are going to see this and say, oh, well, this is how I'm supposed to treat my wife. Or, you know, the girl, this is how I'm supposed to be treated. This is acceptable. Mm-hmm. But it's not. And I don't, you know, and there's the whole adage of, you know, you have the group that says, you know, you know like, uh, Child sex crimes is the gift that keeps on giving because typically the predator himself was a victim or right. herself was a victim. Yep. But it has has to stop somewhere. You have to be that change. Yeah. And well, you know, yeah, and the, and the community knows best what it needs, yeah. right? So it, it's going to mm-hmm. step in and solve the issues it's seeing. You, you don't want the federal government telling you how to do it. You and how does the federal taxes to do it? And right? how does the federal agent know? The ins and outs of your local community. That's right. If the lo- uh, I'm, you know, the small locality should know who lives here, who doesn't. If there's an issue, if all of a sudden there's a whole lot of traffic in and out of this certain place at a certain time, well, something's going on there. Yeah. And I mean, we bought bought our home. We we started noticing when our neighbors was having a lot of traffic at a certain time of night, and it wasn't long. Then I was woken up in the middle of the night by the dog carrying on, and then watching armed. Police officers just come through my backyard and out to their house. They come, and it's like, you know, <laughs> it's an interesting wake up because it's like, I saw people, I was like, there's people, you know, it's like, there's people outside moving. That guy's got a rifle, okay? So it's like, do I need to, you know, what does this dude do? And it's like, <laughs> never mind, that's the police. I'm just going go to mind my business because they're not coming here. And they went next door, and this is, and, but somebody had noticed and made that call. Yeah. And it's the same thing. If you start noticing, if a community, if you start noticing that there's a young girl living in your neighborhood and she's being picked up by somebody and things are going on, do something. And if the parents don't, you should. But everybody doesn't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get involved. I mean, I had a huge rant because they had that young lady raped on a subway train in Pennsylvania, going into Philly, yeah. and people videotaped it and, and didn't, and didn't do in. nothing. That's right. And it's like, one, if you don't have the courage to do something, make noise, pull the cord, it'll stop, or you're going into Philadelphia, there's probably a whole lot of construction workers and people on other cars that will come in there and do something. Yeah. Make some noise instead, they videotaped it. And luckily the local chief of police is like, I'm gonna prosecute every single one of them. Yeah. Because what you did is just as bad as what he did. You allowed it to happen. Yeah. And he, but you see that now, everyone wants to videotape. No one wants to, have, you get people get beat up, robbed, assaulted, people just video it. And then they put it on YouTube and Facebook. Like, it's not a big deal. It's like, you didn't do anything. Why aren't... I, I shared it. There was a, a gentleman. I, you know, he was in a parking lot. And it was a guy. The guy himself was filming it. But he could see that there was a car parked. There was two younger people. A boy and a, a young man and a woman arguing. 
and it looked like the girl was trying to get out of the car, and he kept pushing her back in the car. So this older guy rolls up, and he says, ma'am, is there a problem? And the guy was like, no, we're okay. He's like, I didn't ask you. Because this is a smaller guy, but he's, you know, put, you know, and bullying the girl. And the guy was like, I didn't ask you, son. Are you okay? Do you need a ride somewhere? Do you need me to call someone? He's like, oh, she's my girlfriend. We're just having an argument. He's like, again, I didn't, I'm not talking to you. Right. And he gets out of the vehicle. He gives the phone to his son. He's like, ma'am, do you need a ride? Do you need us to call someone? We will. And he looked at the boy. He's like, you know, if you're fighting, you're putting your hands on her. Is it worth catching a charge for? Because that's what's going to happen. And you can hear the, it's his son saying, my dad's going to be the hero. He's the, you know, saving the day. <laughs> but he, he put himself out there to help this young girl because there's a reason he keeps pushing her back in the car. She wants to get out and he's not letting her. So what's going on? You know, whether you're, it's boyfriend-girlfriend violence, which is very, very bad, or is he taking her someplace against her will? And at least this gentleman decided to do I'm something. Not gonna, I'm not just going to sit here and look the other way. I'm going to get out and say something. Yep. That's right. And, and yeah, I've, my wife thinks, you know, I'm weird because I'll do that. But, she, you know, she'll say stuff, dude. She'll, she's, she's more than likely going to get me in, a, in fights more often than I will because she'll, she'll just say stuff. You know, she's a country girl and if she sees something like that, she'll, she'll blurt it out and it's like, no, I got to deal with the ramifications. <laughs> it's like, you know, we want to escalate this, then we can, but I really don't want to, you know. But, but she looks too and she's, she's, she thought it was really cool that you know you came on. She's really excited because she, you know, as a woman, she sees, and it's a different thing for her than it is for me. You know, she, you know, women are more likely than men, and yep. she knows people. You know, you, you find out, oh yeah, this individual had been, you know, this person had done stuff for years, and you know, didn't know, and it's just like you know, you learn this. It's like wow. Yeah, and if they had known, they would. Have done something, yeah. right? but it's you not knowing. It's just in your. Well, group. that's another story we tell ourselves, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. if I would have known, if I'd have known, you know, would would they have really done something? But did you or did you ignore the signs? Because I, I mean, I'm not gonna say it on air, but I could tell you stories of how you know personal stories of people just look the other way and they knew they just like, nah, yep, we'll look over here because it really doesn't affect me, or I don't want it to affect me. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to go to court. I don't want to, have to say this. I don't want to do that. Yeah, it's going to embarrass me. Going to embarrass them, you know, this or that, yeah. and you know, you see it, and every once in a while, like, you'll see the big name who, who finally gets caught, you know. But how many thousands are getting a ticket, or getting a warning, or getting arrested and released? And now that we have the Nobel releases in a lot of these cities, these people are, you know, picked up, released in a couple hours, and are back doing the same stuff. Yep. And they're the girls know that. If they even tell, the guy's gonna be right back on the street in a couple of hours, and then so how are they safe? Is the are they actually gonna help them? Are they gonna put them someplace safe? Are they gonna put them in a known place where everybody goes so this guy can just come in and deal with what he's got to deal with? Well, yeah, that's you know we talked about aftercare earlier, right? So when when these girls wind up in aftercare, you'll see local traffickers hanging out around those areas. Oh yeah. Well, you know. Again, the police know that that's happening. So how are we precluding them from having access to you know, your local... Those locations, yeah. Because yeah. well, again, they're just back at risk and who's stepping in? Well, you, I love watching, like I said, I love watching these cop shows and you see them, oh, well, this is a known area for this, this, and this. Okay, so if you know this area, why, why isn't something done? If this hotel you come to 15 times a day, yeah. why is it still open? Why is it still being allowed to run? 
can't you do something? And this is a blight to the community. We need to do something. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, there, and there's, <clears throat> so the hotel thing is funny because there are hoteliers that believe that it doesn't happen in their hotels, yeah. right? And so you bring in girls that were trafficked there and they're talking about it. Well, you know, it doesn't happen. And they're like, oh no, I've, I've been in your hotel, you know, 20, 30 times. And, you know, and nothing, nothing stops this from happening here other than you. I've worked at two hotels in my life as uh, accounts and when I was younger and we were even though the rule was you're supposed to be 18 and show me an ID they were oh no don't bother to ask mm-hmm. because people get upset it's like but that's the rule right yep we're supposed to ask and I'm supposed to make sure you're a, oh no 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 you don't want and we would literally had an individual she was like I don't want to embarrass anybody so I don't ask it's like we I called the cops one night because obviously the young girl was underage and the guy wasn't I, I called and they got mad at me because the cops showed up and arrested him and they're like, well, you're putting bad because it's going to go in the newspaper and they're going to mention the hotel's name. It's like, okay, so I'm supposed to let this little girl be assaulted right. by an older guy just be so it doesn't look bad on you. We didn't do it. No one working here did it. We, t- we turned them in. We should be like the community, like, oh, should well, be people are paying attention. Oh, but people think that's what our hotel's about. No, this well, is it is if you let it keep yeah, happening. If we, if we right. ignore it, that's then that's a problem. That's because right. the cops isn't the problem. Yeah, it'll keep happening here until you start doing something. But they would just, oh, well, just don't really, you know, unless someone asks for help. It's like, man, that's that's just, again. And, and, you know, coming back to the social media thing, right, with, I travel a lot for work. I'm a Hilton I'm a Hilton guy, right? Everybody's got their hotel preferences, right? Oh, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a Hilton guy. The no contact check-in that you can do now yeah. on the Hilton app, I don't. I can stay in a hotel for a week straight and never talk to somebody in the hotel. Right? I can check in on on my phone. It sends me the key to my phone. I can let myself in any room in the hotel that I'm allowed to get in. Right? Yep. But like, I, I can totally bypass the front counter. I can come in at two in the morning and walk right in the hotel and go right into my room and never. Say now, granted, I have to have an account, right? I got to have a Hilton account, blah blah blah. But right, Joe Schmo, I'm an international salesman for whatever, right? It's not hard to set yeah. up a Hilton account, and I'm not calling out Hilton in general, right? Because there are other hotel chains that have this service. Right. But when you're talking about, there's a reason that porn movies all look like hotel rooms, right? I mean, <laughs> no one, yeah, no one cares. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy enough for, yeah. for the trafficker or the girl being trafficked to have their, their own account. We, we had a case where I just left where uh, she actually, it was not a trafficking case, it was strictly prostitution. She had come from Portland, brought her two kids to the hotel in Bend, Oregon, checked herself and the kids in, got two rooms, had the kids and they were adjoining. Kids were in the other room and she's over here making money in, in one room. Oh, wow. Right? Now, what's what's to stop the, the front desk other than the traffic going through that room for the next couple of days? Nothing. It's a, it's a woman and her kids. Yeah. And some of, the, uh, some of these hotels where you can, you don't even have to go past the front desk to get in. You go through the back door. Yep. They got yeah. an alleyway. Right. They got the, the stairway. And a lot of times, oh, well, it's secure access. Those doors aren't locked. No, but I mean, we... Me and my wife, we you know we take our trips and stuff, and and we've been to places where all the everything's locked down after a certain time. That door's not locked. No. Oh yeah, the lock's broke. Okay, so so it's can not come locked. In, so it's not secure, and anyone can come in and go. No one's bothered to fix it. And 
Like I said, I've worked at two hotels, and one of them I worked at, we had. We, look, I was involved in an incident with someone trying to rob us. It didn't go well. Uh, I got stabbed, but he got the worst end of the deal. It really, really made me mad. He actually stuck his knife in my forearm. It's like, really? You're, really? And it's just prevented to leave his body imprints along the side of a vehicle. Just, uh, but when the cops showed up, they're like, you know, they're looking at license plates and people, and they're like, oh, yeah, we know that guy. We've dealt with him before. And then he, and he was like, they're like, oh, yeah. You know, I was like, yeah, he's been in. I, he, I recognize him. I've seen him before. And they're like, oh, yeah, he's, he runs prostitutes out of your hotel. It's like, you know this? And I didn't. They're like, oh, yeah, we, we've talked to the owner before. He's been running prostitutes out of here. And it's just like, and then I'm like, because they asked me, it's like, I don't know. I've never seen, he goes, no, they, he'll bring them in at a certain time when there's really no one paying attention. And they keep them, and they, he rents a certain room so he can, they can get in and out from that side door. So you'll never see them. I was like, oh, okay. Because it's like, dude, if I'd seen people come in, my, I would notice. He's like, no, nah, they set it up. They know, you know, they, that, that door doesn't lock. So they bring them in that side door. Yep. And it's just like, oh, he's like, yeah, you just, you, you know, it's like I'm, just happened to be a bad night for him, I guess. <laughs> Made but, a mistake. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, wrong front desk. Work. Like your local PD will know who's advertising yeah. the lowest rates in town. Yep. It's almost always yep. the same hotel, and so it, that's going to attract it because you know you got to lower the overhead, and then okay, how are they setting it up? And then you know the thing now is well, how are they paying? Right? Yeah. And the cash apps make that. Very, very, very easy. Yeah. So they transfer the money, then the girl goes and gets that out of an ATM, then hands it in cash to the trafficker who uploads it to a Bitcoin ATM, and then yeah. it's never traced, right? And I mean, all these things get in the way of the prosecution, but in the end, if the front, you know, if if the front desk staff knows what they're looking for, it's an easy phone call. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and again, I just like when they told me, I was like. What? And it's like, I, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, they, he comes in, they have a plan. I was like, well, if you, he's like, you know, like, y'all know that. Why didn't I, as a, you know, working here? And they're like, well, we talked to the owner and the manager repeatedly. They don't want to really do nothing about it. I was like, well, we have cameras. He said, yeah, but you don't have a camera on that door, do you? And I was like, no, we don't. He goes, exactly. He's like, it, that way you have the guy doesn't, you know, wash his hands of it. It doesn't pertain to him. And then when they showed me pictures of the, of the one girl, I had remember seeing her come up and get coffee and stuff in the mornings and I didn't because she'd come up and she'd get a newspaper and coffee and she was always wearing you know normally jeans or t-shirt or sweatpants and so it you know she'd come up and get stuff and go I never thought of anything yeah and I didn't know you know it's just I was like I remember seeing her and they're like yeah she's one of his regulars and it's just small town it's like yeah he's one of, you know and he yeah, and you know it's it's interesting when you look nationally. It's the states that have mandated training for their staffs at hotels and and all that kind of stuff, and what it really means. And in the end, you know the training's very minimal. There's only a handful of states that have mandated it. Local municipalities largely don't, right? And so what's what's the hotel owner supposed to do? Yeah. And then if you if he's he or she's balancing. Do I train my staff with, do I have an incident where I get sued because we, you know, we wrongly stopped someone from checking in? Mm -hmm. And that's all that kind of stuff, right? So, okay, what, what's your legislature doing yeah. about this? And if you dig into that, will you find out that, hey, there hasn't been enough done to really yeah. enforce P 
people knowing what's going on, hotel staffs and that kind of stuff. Our, our state is a, there's a, uh, I think the legislature switched uh, mm -hmm. over one particular things because our legislator, legislature decided that they were gonna remove the uh, requirement for schools to report all sex crimes on campus to the police. Because it was Virginia state law, anything happened had to report people reported immediately to the police and had to be documented. And they were quietly removed that as a requirement. And so now and it, they allowed the school to decide yeah. whether it was a charge or not. So the school superintendent, principal, they got to decide whether this was actually a problem or not. They have, uh, in North Carolina, there's a big lawsuit going on in Mecklenburg County because a young girl uh, was assaulted in school. Foul, you know, immediately told the resource officer when she was able to. Yep. Uh, her parents were called. They went to the police. The, she, they had to, she had to go to the hospital. They did the test. There was obvious signs. You know, they did the rape kit. So the school, the police, the local police arrested the individual for doing it. And our charges are pending. He's a minor, but they're, you know, he's like 17. She was 15. So, but, you know... They're being, they're, you know, of course, him being a minor too, they're trying to be, they have to, certain rules. The school did their own investigation and expelled her. They expelled her for filing a false claim under, and the principal decided that she was lying and expelled her. And they're like, well, the police believe her. Here's all this stuff. He admitted to doing it to the police in the interview, and the principal's like, oh, that don't, that don't affect us. I did the investigation. I don't believe her. So he expelled her. And it's just like, and you know that's the same thing that's happening here. It was up to the super, the principal, or the staff to decide whether that the girl's report was actual credible enough to be a problem or even be documented. And, hmm. and I think that when this all came to light, I think that's why our legislature switched because it's like if you're going to vote to allow our children to be assaulted and not tell no one, and then actually try to quiet and silence people for telling, then you, you, we need to change that law back. Yeah, you really need it to be a disinterested third party that yeah. doesn't worry about yeah. the other things like what's the school's reputation yeah. or right all that kind of stuff that gets in the way of just doing the right thing. And it comes down to, I mean, you see it with big sports teams that you'll have members of their team there, you know, that are doing stuff. They really, you know, they're really, really hanging. And they're like, oh, well, you know, but he's all, all, all star. So do we really want to say anything? Do we really want to punish him? I mean, there's... And, I mean, I'll say it. NFL has a weird sliding rule of punishment. If you're an all-pro, you'll get a game or two slap on the wrist. If you're a third-string tackle, you're gone. They'll kick you out of the league. They'll make sure you're, you know, you're a pariah. But if you're that big name, oh, well, he didn't mean it. He, he's going to get help. It's okay. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, yeah, he, you know, he's accused of you know, raping a girl. Hey, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, Demarcus Ware, the former cowboy, he you know yeah. he's had a lot of run-ins with like violence with women, so he would just pay them off, and they would you know, charges would disappear. Well, he now fights in the UFC. So our oh, that for, was the yeah, one. That, I yeah, Dana White decided when he you know found out about this, he put him against somebody way above his level of training and got him. He got destroyed in about a minute and a half. And that was the point. He's like, you know, welcome to the big boys club. 
And it was intentional. He's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you meet somebody. You know, it's gonna deal with you. <laughs> and he got the point across. It's like we're not gonna tolerate that here. And you know, it's like you know they don't. They, you know, that's one of those things that he doesn't tolerate. You know, it, you know it's it's funny they lock you in a cage to fight, but you know you don't do that outside the cage. You know they're not big fans of it. No, especially when you're you're hurt of women or women or children. It's like ah. Eh. You can do it in here, agreed upon rules, but you're not going to do it out there. What was that match with Tim Elliott where he was talking to the guy the whole time? That Tim, yeah, Tim Elliott, because oh yeah, he beat oh, that was he, a, he like beat two, on that dude ago. for like two was, rounds, and he was just like, I hit harder than a girl, don't I? And he was a guy had been, had, he wouldn't finish the fight. He, he kept beating it. on the guy. He prolonged it for two rounds. They used to be gym mates, and this dude was known for hurting women. So when they got the fight, hmm. he he prolonged the beating. He could have finished him in the in the first. He could have finished. Him he drug it out just to punishment. He was talking trash. He's like, I had heard that girl, don't I? It's like, and he was just beating on him, and it was bad. It was just like bloody him up pretty. But again, it was just he decided to deal with it the best way, and it. And he even told the interviews later. He's like, I couldn't beat him up outside the cage because I go to jail, but in here he agreed to fight me, so I can do whatever I want within within the rules, you know. And yeah. he beat him. And I mean, I'm. I think we should punish people more. Yep. <laughs> so Nate, we've been running about two and a half hours. We uh, well, we have time already. We could, uh, we well, could probably, we could we, we, could, we, could, we could go forever. But I, when we started off the podcast, it was like, yeah, we want to get about an hour, and we should be able to do that. But we but we can always make this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially since it's not that big of a. Um, problem for you to come here. We can do this more often. Yeah. Sure. You're, especially January. Uh, is Sexual uh, Trafficking Awareness Month? It is uh, National Human Trafficking yeah. Awareness Month. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So, I mean, we could always bring you, you know, maybe sometime in January and come back. Sure. And, I mean, we would love to reach out to any, yeah, anybody. Yeah, you're, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. Uh, this has been a great episode. We've yeah. had a great time. Um, so, to wrap, yeah, we, we would love to keep you as long as you want to stay, but we also <laughs> want to be respectful of your yeah. time. And Jerry and I can sometimes go on tangents that, yeah. that take 30 minutes to roll back. So, um, I have to delete certain things. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so to close out, is there is there anything else that you'd like to tell the Rolling Rocks listeners or the general public about Guardian Group or about you know what your mission is um, to, to close out? Yeah, I think uh, you know I would say we are always looking for opportunities to talk to various folks within the community. So if there's an interest, you know, regardless of where it is, for us to come out and do training for you, uh, to talk to, um, you know, the, the police, first responders, doesn't really matter. Uh, we're happy to do that. Um, that's, a, that's really a big part of what we do. And, you know, like I said earlier, right, raising awareness matters in this. Because yeah. there's, there's no getting it done by ourselves just through the police. It's going to take the community. So one of the things we want to do this year is do a better job of getting it out to communities. Um, part of me being on the East Coast where most everybody else is on the West Coast is starting to, to have a better impact on the East Coast. Um, so if, if one of the listeners wants to talk about this, wants us to come on out and talk to a group of folks, we're happy to do it. Um, the one thing we're not going to do is, is shake you down for a bunch of money. We don't do this for the money. So uh, take that for what it's worth. 
So yeah, we, we would love the opportunity to talk more to people about this issue. Um, okay. We'll definitely be, you know, I'm gonna start making a habit of everything y'all share. I'll make sure we put it to, not only I put it on my personal page, but I'll put it, we put it, we put it on, put on the, the group page the, too. Yeah, podcast page. Uh, and now that uh, Facebook, We've reached that magic number of followers and, and listens. What is the magic number? It's like 150. You have to have, yeah. as a business, you have to have at least 150 people follow you and interact. So now we can put up ads where they'll pay us to have ads on our thing. So that'll generate revenue that we can then generate to you. Because, I mean, you're, I've done my research. You're a good group and you, you your money is spent where it's supposed to be. It's not going, like you said, they don't pay you nowhere near what you probably could be making in the private sector, but you're doing it out of a commitment. Yep. And you're the founder and uh, your marketing director, and she has a lot of education too, and she's probably not making what, she probably gonna make a whole lot more money in the private sector, and she does that. Yep. But, you know. And yeah, we're, we're fortunate to have a great team of folks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I said earlier, right, like I love getting to work with them because um, it's, you know, something that I think still really matters in there. It's a great group of people to be associated with. Yeah, I mean, and so yeah, they're they're going to do what it takes to to, you know, help communities with the impact they need. And I, th- and I think the difference with like you know, you 26 years in the military, you've been around the world, you've seen some stuff, and I've, I've never you know not not as a enlisted did I go around the world, but I've been to different places uh, as a civilian. And, but a lot of people who don't ever travel, they never see anything. Yeah. Especially, in, you know, even just here. If you don't really ever really leave your little area, and if you only leave to go to, like, Disney World or things, you don't see the dark side of some of these cities. Yeah. And, and I think that's why a lot of people don't even pay attention to it. Oh, uh, that don't really happen. That's, you know, it's got to be exaggerated. It's like, well, have you, you've never actually been to this part of that city. You've only been to the shiny part, not to the dark part. You yeah. Know? Yeah, you mentioned Thailand earlier, right? So I I spent six weeks there uh, when I first got into Special Forces. Yeah, we have have that base there. Yeah, Yeah, and so we, uh, I remember being in one of the beach towns one weekend and watching this guy walk down the street, and he's got the hands of two Mm 10-year-old boys that he's walking down the street with. Yeah, Yeah, I've heard lots of stories. This is disgusting. Especially from the Green Berets that train out there, and they'll, they'll tell They'll tell stories about some of it, just you, and you them wanting to do stuff and then getting in trouble for doing it. Yep. Well, you can't do that because that's the culture, that's the local. I mean, you know, it's legal. Yeah. Yeah, and the same thing, guys in the middle, you know, dealing with the stuff in the Middle East. You know, well, you cannot even get, you shouldn't get involved in what you're seeing because it's their cultures. They're, you know, it, well, it's still wrong. You know, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's right. But I appreciate you coming on. I really do, especially short notice i mean this yeah. was um, awesome just me reaching out and you're like yeah we do this yeah absolutely yeah. no it, it, it was really a pleasure to be able to do this we do appreciate the help so it's, it's, all, it's, it's yeah, our honor it's, it's, it's our, our honor to do we it. will definitely continue to push and we'll have you back on okay and so where can the rolling rocks fam find out more about guardian group uh guardiangroup.org and there's a variety of things on there so it'll talk about you know what we see as as the issue in the u.s uh, here shortly, we'll publish our end of the year report, which we will be posted on there. And it talks about, hey, here's here's sort of the general trends, that kind of thing. Um, and then there's some volunteer stuff on there mm-hmm. as well. So you know, there's plenty of listeners who want to get involved. There's a there's a variety of ways to get involved. 
There's a donate at, uh, button on there. If you're interested in helping out financially, we, we always appreciate it. Um, but really just taking the time to, to take a look at it and understand it and then get involved as a community. That's really all we're looking for. Awesome. Stellar. Yep. All right. You got anything else, Jerry? No, not today. I'm not. I think we've covered enough. Yeah, I think I'll save my seriously for next week. Roger that. (laughs) All right. So, Nate, thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. So, for Nate Prussian, for Scott Barker, for Jerry Armitrout, later. We're out. My name is Thomas Dillon. You may know me as the man who supposedly killed his own son to collect insurance money. The truth is, my little boy Walter was abducted by a religious cult. They took him to a parallel world, to an America run by religious fanatics and plagued by disease. I know because I've been there, and I found my son. It's a place of magic and malice and ignorance, where faith healing is medical care and government enforcers dress like Klansmen. Now, I know I sound crazy, like this is the plot of a dystopian dark fantasy novel that would appeal to fans of Neil Gaiman. And indeed, that's how I had to get my story out, by teaming up with writer Matthew Warner. He published my first-person account as a novel called Empire of the Goddess. Publishers Weekly called it quick-paced and intriguing. Can you believe that? But he let me record the audiobook, because only I can tell you my story. And it's going to blow your mind. Look for it on Amazon and at MatthewWarner.com. Empire of the Goddess. The music for tonight's episode was But I Am Shafts of Light by Mayeth from their album Wailing Village.